0: Coming up on episode 215 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the 2021 Mazda Miata RF Grand Touring, the Hyundai Sonata N-Line, the Mazda MX-30 EV, the Ford Maverick, and British drivers looking for EVs when they can't find gas. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 215 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abual Samad from Guidehouse Insights.
1: I am Nicole Wakeland from True Car.
0: And I am Roberto Baldwin from Kelly Blue Book.
1: Oh, I almost said that. A good thing I, Excellent.
2: Didn't. I, I did Excellent. I would have picked. Same place. I would have oh. picked somewhere
0: else.
1: You would have picked somewhere else? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, since uh, Robbie's been so bogged down in work the past week that he didn't get a chance to drive anything, uh, we will start with Nicole. Nicole, what did you drive?
1: I had the 21 Hyundai Sonata, but not just the Hyundai Sonata. I had the Sonata N-Line, which is sort of the performance version of the Sonata, which sounds... Honestly, it sounds a little bit silly because you're like, it's a sedan, it's a performance version, it's a Hyundai. None of those things seem to fit together. Like you've taken these disparate pieces that don't belong together. They do. Uh, They actually come together, and they come together quite nicely. The engine in this, um, I didn't write the specs. I just wrote the horsepower because apparently that's what I was focused on. Uh, (laughs) 290 horsepower, 311 (laughs) pound-feet of torque, uh, cvt so now the big thing is so 290 horsepower in the end line the rest of the lineup you get either 180 or 191 so it's a pretty big jump in horsepower it's not an insignificant change um it is a two no i'm gonna find it no i'm not gonna find it here we go it's a 2.5 did, 5 you, say, did
0: t- you say it has a cvt
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It does not have a CVT. It has an 8-speed. You're right. I don't know why okay. I said that. It does not. I saw the wrinkle in your brow. I was like, wait, I said something Cause, wrong. Cause I, I,
0: I, you know, somehow the idea of you know putting a high-performance oh, engine into this thing with a yeah. CVT just seems totally incongruous. It's
1: like, <laughs> Clearly, I need, I, need one more, I need one more sip of my coffee. Let's try that again. That has an 8-speed uh, dual-clutch automatic. How's that sound? A little bit better?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, um, and it's
1: better. a 2.5 liter turbocharged four, and like I said, it's 290 horsepower. That's versus the 180 or 191, depending on which engines you choose for the rest of the lineup. So it's a pretty big jump in horsepower, and you do feel it. There's a there's a big difference in how this one drives. Um, it's more responsive. It's more aggressive. If you're getting on the highway. You don't really have to think about how close that guy is behind you. You've got enough power to accelerate wherever you want to accelerate, which is really nice. So, it does make this sort of um, almost kind of mild mannered sedan a hot little sedan. It's fun to drive. Like, I really, I truly enjoyed it. I like the Sonata anyway, and any of its guises, because I've driven a couple of the others. So, it's no surprise that I like this one even more. Um, and it comes with all sorts of extra little goodies that, you know, if you think of it, it's like the top of the Sonata lineup and then they shoved this cool engine in there too. So you get um, eight-way power front seats, there's Napa leather and the seats are special N performance seats. So they're a little bit, a little bit more bolstered, not like so heavily bolstered that you feel like you're being strapped in and you can't move. Like if you have a larger frame, you can still get comfortable, but they are a little bit more bolstered. Uh, You have the upgraded infotainment, which has a 10.25 touchscreen. So this nice, large touchscreen, you get navigation, you get Apple CarPlay, you get Android Auto, you get a 12-speaker Bose audio system that sounds fantastic. Uh, you get wireless charging. So basically think of this as your you know top trim of the Sonata. This is what you're getting, but they put the cool engine. I love it, but you are going to pay a bit of a premium for it. So if you went with a bass Cheapest version of the Sonata you can get, it's twenty-four thousand, just over dollars You want to do the end line, it is thirty-four thousand one hundred. So you're paying an extra ten grand, but mind you, you know you're getting extra features. You get extra safety. You get all better the entertainment. Things. Yeah, it's not just like, oh, here we gave you an engine. We'd like ten thousand dollars for it. It's we gave you an engine and all this other stuff. We'd like ten thousand dollars for it. I kind of think it's worth it. I mean if you like the performance, I don't feel like the other versions of the Sonata you get in them and you drive them and you think, "Meh, this is awful. This is a milk toast sedan. It has no res-. it's not like they're terrible. Sometimes you find when you move up like engines especially in sedans, the base engine is a miserable place to live. Like it has yeah. no power, it has no response. And you, you, you don't want to drive it. You step up and suddenly this is what should be the base trim. Like get rid of that other engine. Not so in this one, this one feels responsive no matter what you drive. But if you sort of crave that little extra bit, little oomph, then go with the end line and it's roomy. It's, you know, you can easily sit three people in the back seat. It's not one of those, like, oh, we say it sits three, but only if they're very skinny teenagers or toddlers. No, three adults can sit back there. So I'm a fan. Yeah.
2: I I do love the Hyundai Sonata a lot. I drove it in the first time we drove it was the Korean spec, so I had a smaller engine, but we drove it in Korea, so mm-hmm. it was okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then later that trip, they let us drive the, the the U.S. spec on like their proving grounds in Korea. But uh, no, I sat in the back, I sat in the front, and he was like, "This is a really nice sedan." We we you know uh, myself and the other people who were driving with me back when that was a thing, um, we really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of this Hyundai Sonata, and I, I think the inline, I'm sure, is, is is pretty dope from I like what it sounds the, like.
1: I like the styling on it because it's it, it, it strikes this neat balance where it's so, – like when you drive, make a sedan, like you don't want it to look bleh, but it also shouldn't look like it's like a little pocket rocket of a hatchback either. Sometimes they make mm. them so aggressive, I'm like, now you guys have gone too far. They did a nice – like we will hit a little – we will keep it looking like a nice sedan – but we're gonna not make it boring. So when you look at the front of it, like the way the lights and the, yeah, the trim, sort of that, yeah, the way they come down the hood, the way everything is accented, it looks good. Like you don't just you're not gonna just walk by it and think yeah, whatever. You walk by, you think, oh, that's kind of a good looking car. So I like how they did it.
0: And and it's not over designed, you know, as we've talked about with some other brands you know, in this segment. It it it's got enough flourishes to make it interesting without making it look like they didn't know where to stop.
1: Right. And that's what happens on so many of them, especially in the front end, like the back. You're like, okay, they did a nice job. And then you come around the front, you're like, oh, there's so much happening, so many angles, so much stuff. There's plastic, there's chrome, there's vents that don't need to be there. What is happening? And it's overwhelming and it makes it look <laughs> messy and cluttered and not cool. And this one, I'm like, oh no, there's just enough there that you think, okay, nice looking sedan, not seriously if this is what you want go find yourself like a civic hatchback or something this is not your car
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny because you yeah. talk about how the front is always aggressive and the back sort of like eh. and i mean the reason for that is is you know for, for buffering and, and whatnot but it right. always looks like they got super excited about uh, designing the front of the car and then by the time they got to the end it was like 11 o'clock at night they were all full yeah. of pizza they're like you know i exactly. just kind of <laughs> sh- just kind of shave it like, off all go home.
1: Lights. There's a spot to open the trunk. Stick our badge right in the middle. Good. Let's go.
2: Let's go home. Let's go home. We're done. We're done. Look at all the stuff we cool stuff we did. At the front. It's like every,
1: awesome. Don't look at the back. We're sleepy. We've had pizza. Yeah. It's
2: every hobby I've ever done ever. You're just like yeah. At the beginning by the end you're like oh god. Then you're done. <laughs> I'm done.
0: Uh, excellent. Excellent. All right. <clears throat> um, so. I had uh, something quite different. I had the uh, 2021 Mi- Mazda Miata RF Grand Touring, um, which you know, as uh, longtime listeners will know, I am a fan of Miatas. <clears throat> I own one, and uh, the RF, of course, is the retractable hardtop version. Uh, and the the Grand Touring, you know, has all the all the options. It has all the goods, all the goodies on there. Uh, you know, I I love driving Miatas. Uh, fortunately, this one came with a manual transmission, not Ooh. the optional automatic. Yay. Yay. No one should ever buy a Miata with an automatic transmission. Yeah, that's,
2: that's sacrilege. Uh, Why would and, you do that?
0: Exactly. And uh, it also came in what I personally consider to be probably the best color available in the entire automotive industry today. Soul Red Crystal. It is metallic. the best color oh. of edgy oh. car.
1: I love how that looks.
0: Mazda's it's really gorgeous. good. Was, Mazda's yeah, reds I mean, are.
1: They should get rid of Ships all the other kiss. colors. Just yeah. make those reds. That's yeah. it. get rid of all the other colors.
0: Just yeah, make everything in Soul Crystal Red, and they would probably triple their exactly. sales. Exactly. Like,
1: what did you buy? Uh, I bought the red car. Everybody would know what it was. The Red yep. Car Company. That beautiful <laughs> yeah. red. Oh, it's listening
0: so cool. off in the distance. Like, it's, a- yeah,
1: there it is. There's the Mazda. It's
0: a it's a it's a gorgeous red, um, and. Yeah, I I spent some time yesterday. I went out for a drive in the countryside. Um I am less a fan of the RF version. Uh I guess I would be more of let's put it this way, I'd be more of a fan of the RF version if I was driving a Miata in Michigan year round. Um you know, I I drive my Miata, you know, when the weather's nice. I mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't drive it with uh you know, I don't drive it in the wintertime. It's never exposed to salt. Um, so if I was using uh, a Miata, you know, in regions where you get winter weather, um, year round, then not that we get winter weather year <laughs> round, but if I was driving it year round in regions where we get winter weather, I would be, I would probably be more of a fan of the RF a Seattle. How about a um, Seattle? Uh, there we yeah. go. It's, it's, yeah, it's Seattle would yeah, work because it's too. rainy, it's um, not salty, you know, it's raining there all the go. time, yeah. Um, so. You know, the RF, unlike the, the previous, the third generation Miata, they, they first introduced a retractable hard top on the third gen Miata. And that one was a three-piece that when you looked at it, when it was up and you looked at it in profile, it looked exactly the same as the convertible. And it fit in, it completely retracted under the, the lid in the same space as the convertible top. And with the, you know, with the top down, it looked exactly like any other Miata convertible. Uh, that was the NC generation. For the ND, they, they created this RF, which is partially retractable. So when you retract it, the roof panel goes down, pops down behind the, the, the seats, and the rear window also drops down. Um, and as it's going through this little dance of pieces moving around, the, um, the, the B-pillar lifts up and moves back and then goes back into its original position. So what you're left with is um, kind of a, more of a targa. Than a convertible, uh, and it does have a, a you know the because the back window drops down. You do have airflow through the uh, under the target bar. Um, I generally prefer you know full blown convertibles, top completely down. I look around. There's nothing nothing around me. That said, this thing still drives like a Miata, and still drives fantastic. And one of the the cool things when when Mazda did this current generation Miata a few years ago. <clears throat> They actually reduced the weight from the previous generation. Got it back down to the point where, um, at least the the regular convertible version, is almost the same weight as the original 1990 Miata. Ah. Uh, you know, it's about 2,100 pounds. Um, the the RF I think is about a hundred pounds or so heavier uh, because of the the top mechanism. Um, but it's it's easy to get in and out of compared to a lot of smaller convertibles. Uh, you know, if you have physical mobility issues, it might still be a challenge because it is still fairly low, but it's not, it's not bad to get in and out of it's, it's reasonably roomy um, and it's quick. It handles great. The, the gearbox is, you know, shifts, is a slick shifting gearbox. It's a six speed uh, manual transmission. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a particularly powerful car by modern standards. You know, it's uh, it's a two-liter four-cylinder naturally aspirated, 181 horsepower, 151 pounds-feet of torque. But in a car that weighs you know between 21 and 2200 pounds, that's plenty. Uh, fr- frankly, in a car that probably weighed five, six, seven hundred pounds more, it would still be plenty. Uh, but it, it feels really good in uh, you know in this vehicle. Um, the the base convertible Miata's. Uh, start at a a little over $26,000. The RF starts uh, at $33,045 for the club, which is the base model, and that gets you 17-inch wheels, nine-speaker Bose audio system. Uh, The Grand Touring that I drove is another $1,500, so it's $34,525. That gets you Few additional things like heated leather seats, which if you're going to drive it in the winter time, um, you know, or or even you know fall or early spring with the top open, uh, but it's still kind of crisp out, but the the roads are clear. Having those heated seats is is really nice. You know, keeps your backside warm, but you can still enjoy the open air. Um, It's got navigation, adaptive front lighting. uh, That starts at 34,525. All in uh, the one that I've got in the driveway right now. Um, the only option on that is that Soul Red Crystal Metallic, um, which is an extra eight hundred and ninety-five dollars and it's worth, worth it. every penny.
1: Worth every penny. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely worth it worth, worth it. it, worth it,
0: worth it. So you can find your car. With, with delivery it came to from space. Yeah, it came came to 36365 <laughs> Uh which is, you know, I think, you know, a pretty reasonable price for, you know, a, a really fabulous sports car. Um, and as I said, you know, with the with the hardtop as, as as an RF, it's eminently drivable in wintertime. Just put some snow tires on it, some winter tires, so you get decent traction. And I have I have driven Miata's in the past uh, in the in the middle of winter. I've driven them in February. I, I had uh, a hard top, a retractable hardtop, NC, the the third generation model. I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, um, in the middle of February, it came came on winter tires. It was. Fine, it was great. You know, it's got traction control, stability control, ABS, you know, all that stuff. Uh, so it's it's very easy to drive. You know, obviously it doesn't have a whole lot of ground clearance, so if the snow is very deep, you might want to leave it home and take something else. But um, other than that, it's you know it's great. It's a great all weather car, and then you know you get open air motoring as well. Um, the uh, The Miata still has Mazda's older generation infotainment system, which is okay. It's uh, it's a seven seven inch screen that sits above the dash there, um, you know. But it has support for Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, so you can use those. Um, and uh, uh, it's
1: what doesn't it have? I, Sam? I love this thing. What I, doesn't it have?
0: It does not. It does not have a touch screen. Okay, thank you. No touch screen. <laughs> but you know what? Your hands in a Miata. Your hands should be on the steering wheel, not oh. on the you know, not on the touchscreen. Should if be on the, see on the the eye on the, roll on the I'm Giving him,
1: <sighs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs>
0: just just set it up wherever you want before you go, and then just don't touch it again. Just keep your hands on the wheel or on the shifter. That's it's never. That's all, that's all you need to touch. Turn the radio on. Put
2: your put the put your favorite CD on, or
0: I guess audio. Yeah.
2: Album. I don't know. Put favorite your favorite album CD. on CD. What, I'm not I'm not sure what are you living in,
1: Roberto? Like 1995? Your favorite CD?
2: Put in your favorite cassette tape. No, I'm not even sure if this thing has a CD. Nothing has a CD player. You know, I was thinking about CD players yesterday because I'm working on the Jag right now because it feels like it has some sort of it's 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 being starved of gas uh, at oh. certain instances. So I don't know if it's like vapor lock or if it's. Uh, dirty fuel inject. I don't know. So I'm trying to figure it out. And I was sitting in it yesterday, listening to it. And I was looking at the CD, the CD player. And I was like, I got some CDs in the house. I guess uh, there's, like, a, there is a CD. And my wife like put a mix CD that I had made in like 2001, um, in there. So, but yeah, CD players, kids for the future. Know. I don't
1: think I have a single <laughs> CD left. I bet my husband does somewhere, but I don't have any. I,
2: yeah. I don't have anything that plays CDs in my house other than like, probably my PlayStation.
1: Oh yeah, okay. I guess that would play we CDs. We have one of those that there you go. That's how I could play a CD.
2: Oh, I have a I have a Blu-ray um burner that I absolutely never use. I'm sure that I probably plays CDs.
1: There you go. So we have two between the three of us. We have exactly three options.
0: <laughs> we have three options, and they're you all at my house. <laughs> well, I, I, I have a, I have a DVD burner around here somewhere, <laughs> a, a, an external USB DVD. I love how we're parking. like. I Actually, think we have this thing. I think me.
1: we have that thing. Maybe yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Mine's not even in a case. It's no, all like, like I, open. I, and... I do have that DVD burner. See, there you go. So that's four. Yeah, we have, I have four that one here and. Yeah, and, and I have a PlayStation upstairs, so you know that's five. five. That's five. So and really, I think there's actually an old DVD player in, in a closet somewhere. Oh, that's that six. I didn't get rid of In a closet somewhere.
2: 5.75. Five five. That's 5.75 uh, yeah. abilities to play CDs. To play in our a home. CD.
1: <laughs> none of which will let us play one in a car, but you know, whatever.
2: Uh, the last <laughs> Prince concert, I went to the Prince's uh, when Prince was doing that tour where he was playing the piano. And yeah. at the end of the concert, um, they were handing out CDs. Um, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I just looked at it. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I How still I have it. It's still wrapped. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's one of the last concerts where he passed away. Right. But I'm just like, I'm, and it's still wrapped, not because I'm like, oh, I got to save this forever because I love Prince and I love, you know, his music. And I went to this tour and then he passed away. No, it's just wrapped because I don't know where to play it. I guess I could no play idea. it in the car.
1: There <laughs> I you just, go.
0: There we go. In the car, people. When, when, I, when I graduated in 1990 and I bought my my Mustang, my first Mustang, yeah, CDs were still comparatively new. They were about six years old or so at that point. And uh, you know, I actually, like the following year, I went out. It came with uh, a single CD player, Ooh. Um, in, 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 an in-dash CD player. Um, but I went out and got a Pioneer. Back then, Pioneer had these... Um, uh, multi-disc players that you could get, and they had a, a cartridge system that you could put six CDs into, and it was you could use it in the car or use it in uh, with a home CD changer that accepted the same cartridges. So over time, I, bu- I bought tons of those cartridges and put all the CD all the CDs in there, and I would just swap those in and out, and I installed that thing in the trunk, and that was great. But I had,
1: um, a, I had a 6 CD changer in the trunk of my Beetle. You had to go out, and it would always get stuck. And then when it got stuck, you'd have to like wait till you parked somewhere and you'd go out, open your trunk. Yeah. My husband did the coolest thing. He did a very I'm an engineer and I have bungee cords kind of thing. He had a car that did not have a CD player back when everyone had CD players. So he had a giant boom box that played CDs, and he put the CD player in that. But the problem is you go over bumps, so he had like used bungee cords that he put through suspend it the from the ceiling. And like had like like your entire back seat is now... To play CDs. And he was like, Yeah. Like, we were in college. He's like, What's the problem? Like, okay, that's fine, I guess. And I can still see the image. It seems like thing. a perfectly
0: reasonable solution to me. I
1: know, right? See, because engineers, yeah. Floating
0: he's around.
1: Perfect. Yeah, we could go over big bumps. He's like, Look, it didn't skip. I'm like, Are you aiming for bumps just to prove how cool your little CD setup is? Yes, was? Okay, he was.
2: CD. He was. Pretty much. That's how he wooed you. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. That's
1: how he wooed me. I'm like, The man can make a CD player not skip in his little. Whatever the heck it was, I'm in. Let it, let Thirty
2: us, years later, let us share and, our life yeah. together and have and children. He's still
1: cobbling things together with bungee cords and two by fours, so not much has changed. That's,
2: that's <laughs> all we need, really. I buy a bungee cord all the time. I'm, like, I'm at Harbor Freight Tools. I'm like, you know, what? I probably need some more bungee cords.
1: Oh my god, we have bins of them. Oh yeah. my god, so many bungee cords.
0: All right. Uh, enough enough of the Miata. Just, you know, if you want a sports car, <laughs> go buy a Miata. They're great.
2: If you're too tall, you can get a BRZ. You won't go wrong. That's a, the BRZ is a, t- is a Miata for yes. tall people.
0: <laughs> yes. The, the only flaw in the BRZ is there's no convertible. Yeah, cars. that is. But other Walmart. than that. Yeah. Yeah. Boo earns. But, uh All right. Um, So this week, um, Nicole and I both did some traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, Nicole took a couple of trips. Uh, Let's start with the first one that you did, um, which was uh, to Tennessee to drive a truck. So
1: um, I went to Tennessee and drove the Ford Maverick, which is their baby truck. It's the littlest of the trucks. I feel like there's a million different, yeah, a little baby truck. He's like, Rivera's like rocking it like it's a baby. Um, Tiniest little truck, but it it is still a truck. Like there's this sort of sense, they they get smaller and smaller. Like the Ranger, you know, it can do all this off-road stuff and it's capable of a small truck. You're like, wait, we're smaller than a Ranger? What are we doing now? The Maverick is, it's a great option for people who want a little bit of truck, but aren't going off-road and, you know, really heavy-duty off-roading, don't need the heavy-duty capability, but you want a little bit of that. It's like a very livable truck, especially the bed. There are roughly a billion different ways you can configure things in the bed of this truck. So Ford is going to sell you whatever kind of pieces you want, but they didn't want you to have to feel like you have to buy pieces because this is an affordable truck. It starts at um, nineteen nine ninety five. It's not like this, you know fifty thousand dollars truck, and you have all this money to spare because clearly you've got a big budget and you're going to buy all your accessories. They wanted people to be able to use it however they want to use it. So the way they've designed the bed, There are areas where you can slide in like a two by six, I guess it would be, and you can create partitions in there. Then you can slide pieces of plywood or whatever on top and you can create two levels. And do you want it to be two levels all the way deep or do you just want like a second level in the back but only one level on the front. It even has the tailgate. It has a like the cable that holds a tailgate up. You can move that cable so you can readjust your tailgate. So instead of fully opening, you can just have it partly open. And when you do that, you can literally put a piece of plywood in the back and it comes directly and sort of props perfectly on that tailgate. So you could either store stuff or once again, you've created multiple levels and things. It is the most versatile truck bed for such a small truck, you wouldn't really sort of expect them to have thought that much about it, but they did. They were really trying to get to that person who's like, I just need that extra versatility, but I don't want... The hu- I don't want even as big as a Ranger, and I don't need the capability as a, of a Ranger, and I definitely don't want what an F one hundred and fifty offers. And I think the Maverick does a good job of that. They were very specific in saying this is not your. I'm going to crawl up rocks on the weekend truck. Like if you want, we drove up a fairly rugged trail, but I mean it wasn't like we had to crawl. It wasn't like you had to have any particular skill set. It was loose rock and stuff, but. You could have you could have probably done it in a heck of a lot of you know decent SUVs as well, and I asked about it. It's like you know if you, that's if you want that really super super capability, if you really want to be able to do that and, and to go off road every weekend, that's why we have the Ranger. That's who the Ranger's for. This is not a Ranger. This is a Maverick, and it's got the other nice thing about it is there's three trims. Starts at nineteen thousand, so it's affordable. It has a standard hybrid engine, so you're getting a hybrid truck, and that's the standard powertrain. That's the only powertrain that you're getting, and it's fantastic. Um, it's gonna make sure that you're on the on the base and it's gonna make sure that you're able to do everything that you need to do. It doesn't feel like this like sloppy, underpowered like oh, I put a hybrid in a truck. You know, they have a hybrid now available in the F150. so they've they've got this hybrid thing. They've got it figured out. Um, it's smooth, it's responsive. I really liked it. I thought that the interior even is a very comfortable, easy to live with interior I guess it's not something that you feel like like sometimes when you get a cheaper vehicle, it feels every bit the cheaper vehicle. This doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's like it doesn't feel like it's cheap. Um, it doesn't feel like you've got like plastic fantastic everywhere. they used you know it's not leather and wood trims and metal everything but it's it's still attractive and well designed. Um, and they have really neat stuff on the doors, the doors. Um, you know, when you have water bottles, you have a standard water bottle. that fits. You get any of those sort of fat mm-hmm. water bottles or taller water bottles. You can't put them on the door. You can't put, yes, he's holding one up right now. In fact, I believe that even has a Mustang logo on it that you're holding up. Sam. <gasps> look at that. It, it, look at, it, it, it look at how indeed. on brand you are. Um, but you can fit they, the way they've done the door handle. Normally, you have the armrest that goes like fully the length of the door. It kind of only goes part way, like the handle is a part way situation. So, there's a spot where you could put a gigantic water bottle in there and it would hold, which is kind of nice. Again, it's just like sort of little things that make it more livable. Um, so, the interior is really, really well designed. Um, I, I, you know, there's a couple little small trucks, like you've got the Hyundai Santa Cruz out there. I feel like the Maverick is a more trucky truck. How's that? Um, and you have the hybrid, like that's your base engine. If, that's, if you want the base, that's your, your cheapest engine. You can get a turbocharged four-cylinder that has a little bit um, more horsepower, a little bit more torque. Uh, yeah, if you want that, go for it. But it's not like driving the hybrid. You feel like you're driving a hybrid. It never really feels like it. You never feels underpowered. You never feel like it's lacking. So if you want to go up, okay. But you don't have to. If you want this super affordable small dimensions truck that actually is easy to move through a city, easy to park in a parking lot, easy in narrow spaces, affordable, has just enough capability and an unbelievably versatile interior,
2: Maverick. Maverick. Yeah, I like the idea that 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 right. Hyundai and Ford have both sort of looked at what Honda's been doing with the ridgeline. Mm -hmm. Um, and said, you know what? Not everyone needs a gigantic truck. And when, as soon as they put the Maverick on sale, the amount of people who are like, oh yeah, we totally want that. That, uh, (laughs) that seems like something that, that, you know, I, I mean, a Maverick is like a Maverick or a Ridgeline, um, are like the perfect size for people like me who, who do like, you know, I like to go places and do things. And sometimes it'd be nice to have a truck, but most of the time I just rent a truck whenever I need one. Um when we had the Ridgeline, it was great because we could go and buy buy big giant things and, and put mulch in the back of the car because that's what you do, um, and uh, yeah, no, twenty thousand dollars, So cheap as Ford. It's um, it's no, they're gonna sell a ton of these, and, and you know at the at the expense of of the Ridgeline and at the expense of the Santa Cruz, just because Ford is so well, the F-150 is a, a nation upon
0: its in itself. Versus the rest of the world um, when exactly. it comes to vehicles, and so when you have that, in the, that heritage, the F one fifty business is bigger than a lot of car makers.
2: Yeah, it's bigger. Yeah, it's bigger than Nike. I think I, I read somewhere it's pretty big. Yeah, so it's huge. so when you, when you if you're a, a Ford person, which you know, I, um, I grew up in a small town with a lot of people who drive a lot of trucks, and there was still the Ford versus Chevy. Uh, uh, fights. Um, so I'm sure people are, you know, there, I'm not going to buy a Honda bridge line. I'm not going to buy a Hyundai. I'm going to buy a Ford. And I think they're going to sell a ton of these. And, um,
1: I think so too. I can't wait to try it
2: and pick up mulch. That's all I'm saying.
1: And you could pick up a lot of mulch. Like they had it, it was interesting, they had it set up in a couple different configurations just so that we could kind of see like the kind of versatility they wanted us to be able to understand that it had in the trunk. And they had like a couple of bikes in the back and then they had adjusted that tailgate to that sort of halfway position. They provides a nice stop for the, you know, for that stuff. And then they have the bed rails that they have options for the, where you can, you know, there's tie down clamps everywhere. So you can secure everything. They even had, so they had that, they had it full of sporting equipment where they showed how they sort of like leveled things differently. And like, there's a, you know, the netted things you throw like footballs or soccer or balls oh, in yeah. and you're taking and they're like, Oh, but if it opens, because you have this little part, you know, you put your little pieces of wood in there. Now they're just floating around in a little spot instead of bouncing all over the back of your truck. And they had, You know, they had a lot of different configurations to show you, and there is a lot of versatility. They also did something really neat with this, and I'm forgetting what they actually called it, but there are, they made things very 3D. They're going to do a lot of 3D printing compatibility with this. So there is a clip on the back of the center console, and it's just like a little clip that sneaks in, and it's a tiny little thing. You can make 3D printed stuff using that clip so that you could have, say you want the back of that to be a space to hold your phone and you want to 3D print a special phone holder, do it. You want to 3D print a little trash can, do it. You want to 3D print some fancy thing to hold whatever, your phone and your laptop or just, you can, and it just clicks right in. They have the same thing. Inside, when you lift up the rear seats, they flip right up, and there's storage in there. That again, there's some, there's so there's the ability to make stuff and 3D print stuff for this that is exceptional. I mean, if you want to go and you want to pay for Ford stuff, knock yourself out. Ford will sell it to you. But they wanted this to be, you know, this is an entry level truck. They wanted to be something that if you are younger, especially, you know, younger folks are more likely to be playing with the 3D printed thing. You can make this work for whatever lifestyle it is that you want. I, I thought this was amazing. I and it I think it it feels like a truck. Like you were saying, you know, if you people love their Fords, the F-150 is a nation unto itself. If you're that guy or that girl and you love trucks, you're like, I am not driving that. I live in a city. I'm not driving an F-150 in the city. This is your chance to get something that still does trucky stuff, gives you just enough, easy access to the bed. It's not as tall as, you know, an F-150. It's low, it's it is a very versatile truck. I think they're going to sell a zillion of these things.
0: Oh, yeah. I I, th- I think you're right. And you know, going back to, you know, before the two of you joined the show, I mean, for for years we've said that the Ridgeline, you know, is really <clears throat> all the truck that most truck buyers actually need. You know, it's got more than enough capacity and it, it's, you know, big enough. And now, you know, I would say these new smaller trucks, you know, the the, the Maverick and the Santa Cruz, are an even better fit for most people than than even a Ridgeline, and the, and the current generation Ranger is actually quite a bit larger mm-hmm. than the last generation Ranger that that went out of production in I think 2011 or 2012. This one this one is significantly large. The current one is significantly larger. the The Maverick is actually much closer in size to that old Ranger. It's actually length in total length. It's midway between. The regular cab and extended cab versions of the old Ranger. So it's a little bit shorter than the old extended cab Ranger, but a little bit longer than the regular cab. And with this, you get a full crew cab, so you got room for five people. You've got the, the bed's shorter than it was in the old Rangers, but you know that's that's fine. It, it's still I think plenty big enough for what most people need for truckish stuff. Um, you know, I, I like what you're saying, Nicole, but. The, you know some of those touches like the the cables that hold the tailgate, you know because when when you put uh, a, a sheet of plywood in there, you know there's four feet between the bed rails but not between the wheel wells. Mm-hmm. So you know if the it's set up so that when you put that. When you put that bed halfway down, or the tailgate halfway down, you slide in that, those sheets of plywood. They sit on top of the wheel wells right. and across the tailgate. And, they, and it actually slopes down slightly towards the front uh, so that it's not going to slide out the back. So, you know, you can put those those big sheets of plywood in there. You can do all those those cool things with it. And, you know, especially, you know, gas prices are up compared to where they were, you know, not so long ago. Uh, um, you know that that hybrid, you know, forty miles per gallon city, that's that's great fuel economy, uh, and uh, so I, I think that I think that this will be appealing to a lot of people. There are a couple of things that people should note, though. You know, at that base twenty thousand dollar price point, um, you are you are the, you know Ford did have to skimp on a few things to get to hit that price point, um, like the uh, a lot of the driver assist stuff. Um, that is part of the Copilot 360 package is not included. It's not standard on there at that twenty thousand dollar price point. It's an, ex- it's all, I mean, it's an extra five hundred five hundred forty dollars for the Copilot 360 package that gets you the the blind spot monitoring, cross traffic alert. <clears throat> you, but you also get a full size spare with that and the lane keeping system. Um, you do get automatic emergency braking is standard, but uh, you know those those other touches you know you, you will have to pay a little extra for. And, you know, if you if you start optioning this thing up, you know, just like with buying a Ranger or an F-150, the price does climb pretty yeah. steadily. Like the two-liter turbo with four-wheel drive and the trailer towing package um, and, you know, on a Lariat, that'll get you up to about $37,000, which is still, you know, I mean, that's cheaper than, than what you're going to pay for a Ranger Lariat. Right. Uh, but... You know, it's it's not quite as cheap anymore.
1: It does climb up. And, but you know, that's like a, and you're right, it, but that's almost like a, a warning with any truck, like starting price oh, yeah. is 30,000. But what you're probably going to, unless you're just like, I want that cheap truck to do cheap truck things. I want the base <laughs> trim. I don't care about all the bells and whistles. Trucks more than it feels like more than any other kind of vehicle out there. Suddenly you've doubled the price of your truck. You're like, I thought all I did was get heated seats. What just happened? And suddenly you've doubled your cost. You know, so it's really
2: really I got easy hilarious. to do that.
1: Yeah, it's super easy to do, and truly, like you said, Sam, this is no exception. If you start adding options, and they do offer, you know, even on the base trim, you can option that turbocharged engine, you can option all wheel drive and the tow package and four copilot three hundred and sixty and all that stuff. You start packing that stuff onto the base trim, suddenly your base trim is not as affordable. I but I appreciate that that stuff is still available on the base. Like if I don't want to go up to a yeah, because
0: there are some people
1: right. Like if you don't yeah, there, want some all people the, that
0: will. Live without yeah. that stuff.
1: Exactly. If you don't like, if you just want to get, okay, safety is important to me. I want to add on the Ford Copilot 360. Just add that. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Or you're like, you know what? I don't care about any of this stuff. I just wish I had the more powerful engine on the base model okay, go ahead and do that. You know, I, I appreciate that they, the way that they package this, it makes it again, just like that bed. It makes it very easy to make this the truck you want it to be with just the options that you want and not being stuck getting like all sorts of stuff you don't need. You want one little thing. Oh, I have to move up a whole trim novel. And I just blew an extra $8,000 or something stupid like that, you know?
2: I'm going to tell you that my wife really liked yeah. the Ridgeline and, for its price and was very yeah. disappointed that it wasn't a hybrid. And she's just like, well, wh- wh- why really? isn't it a hybrid? I'm like, oh, there's a whole, well, there's all, yeah, let's just let's just move on to another car when we were shopping for cars. <laughs> she's like, well, why isn't it a hybrid? I'm like,
1: ah. It doesn't matter if you don't like it, let's move on. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but, uh, I was just pricing out Ranger or uh, sc- excuse me, Mavericks here, <clears throat> um, and uh, even even if you go the the mid level trim, I think the XLT is that's the mid level is mm-hmm. kind of the sweet spot for the Maverick. I think that's going to have the, the equipment that most people are going to want. And that's that's the one that's probably gonna sell in the biggest numbers. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. It's under twenty seven with with the XLT luxury package that gets you, you know, the driver assist mm-hmm. stuff and and the full size spare and everything else and a, as a hybrid, you're still well under twenty seven thousand dollars delivered. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that uh you know, there you can this is still you know, a, a very affordable truck, um, you yeah. know, especially compared to anything else. And like you said, it'll it'll do almost everything. almost all the truck stuff that most people will want 40 miles a gallon that's if
1: you're if you're trying to do like yeah if you're using it as a work truck it's not gonna like if you're someone who's i don't know a contractor you build houses you you know a plumber or whatever do lawns or something yeah you're gonna want a full-size truck because this isn't enough but for most people who just Mm -hmm. want a little bit of truck but they're not doing legitimate i'm making a living kind of work out of their truck this is more than enough you know
0: this this will haul all your mulch.
2: All your the mulch. Your bicycles. Your mulch. All the things. Your soccer goes. balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it can tow package. Perfect. You can go up to four thousand pounds towing. So if you need to yeah. tow like motorcycles or side by sides right. or ski or was it sea doos or whatever, sea-dos. you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Jet skis. Yeah.
0: yeah this okay. is yeah. Forty miles per gallon. All right. So. The uh, the other thing that we drove this week, um, both you and I drove it, Nicole. Yes, is the Mazda MX-30. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Mazda's first EV. Mm-hmm. What do you? What did you think?
1: <laughs> um, it, I liked it. Oh gosh, I feel like I'm. I, like I was not ready. I, my brain was still. There's on a effort. I feel like there has, there
2: has to be a lot of, uh, 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 of. Yeah, you know
1: what? Okay, so here's the thing. Like
0: a lot of caveats. There's a lot of is. caveats. Yes.
1: Okay, so MX-30, first EV. Go Mazda for doing your first EV. I think that's great. But it is a whopping 100 miles of range. Now, I get it. Most of us don't drive more than 100 miles in a day. I mean, that is more than enough to get you through the typical day. Can I just tell you, I had the worst range anxiety. Do you know what I did? There's a spot where they said, make sure you don't take the first turn. Make sure you take the second turn. It'll get, What did I do? I took the first turn. Oh. And I get on the highway, and it says to me, um, you know, in 10 miles, blah, blah, blah And I'm like, 10 miles? Wait, am I turning around in 10 miles? Or is that just like 10 miles, and I'm taking it? Oh, my gosh. If I have to turn 10 miles, then that's 10 miles back. That's 20 miles. 20 How mi- long is this drive? And I'm like doing the math in my head. I'm thinking, did I just burn? through like a fifth of my range because I made a wrong turn and I didn't totally fine it just like sort of picked up the drive route later on but I had that moment of thinking oh god if you there are spots where if you make a wrong turn on the highway you're suddenly driving an extra 20 miles like, if you no! hit it just right and it's like the panic go oh god I thought I was going to be home in 5 miles I'm going to be home in 20 ah! so I did have a little bit of range anxiety my own fault because I made a wrong turn but you know, I think other humans make wrong turns too. Well, I don't all know, the time. Yeah, right. So that the, the hundred mile range, I get what they're saying. With the, part of their, you know, during the presentation, they said people don't need the range they think they do. You don't need to be able to drive three hundred and fifty miles every day. But if you buy that, it's kind of like the truck thing. If you're buying the giant F-150 to haul air most of the time, you're spending a lot of money on a truck you don't need. If you're buying a vehicle with 350 miles of range, you're spending a lot of extra money to get range that you don't need. I, I get it. But if I, I, it made me, that made me nervous. I had super range anxiety when I made that turn. And I'm like, that is the worst range anxiety I've ever had in my life. And I suddenly got it. I was like, this is it. Because I'm in the desert. I'm going to die out here in California when I run out of range.
2: <laughs> the desert is not a place to get lost in, by the way.
1: Right, exactly. And I, bad, I didn't have a place. water bottle. I had like half of my coffee for in the morning. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to die. All I got is a half a Starbucks. I'm never going to make it. i are
2: going to um, ration it out for days. I'm going to
1: ration it out, sip it slowly. Uh, but I mean, that was... so the. the the 100 mile range is is a little bit like ugh, I don't know how I feel about that. The car itself, though, I mean, it drove nicely. Um, it you have that beautiful what was the color? The soul red metallic, Sam. You just the soul it.
0: soul soul red crystal.
1: Soul red crystal. You know, you got those beautiful Mazda colors. Um, it's it, It charges quickly because the battery is so small. Um, It starts at 33.4, so it's relatively affordable-ish. Uh, And it has that, you know, really smooth, quiet EV ride. They did some neat stuff on the interior. They they really were all about the sustainability. So two things they did. When you touch the door panels, there's felt. It made me think of those little felt animals that people make. You've ever seen little felted animal Mm -hmm. creatures that people do as a hobby? So it was really soft. It was, like, really nice felt. And then on the center console... Like underneath it, where there was a little storage area, and then where your cup holders were, and the cup holders, these little covers that flip open, uh, it was cork, which I guess harkens back to something Mazda did at some point. They made stuff, made cork, something about yeah, cork. Back,
0: the, <laughs> back when the company started, yeah, you know, that, that's what they did. They st- they start it started off making cork stuff.
1: So uh, it's, before
0: they along before they got into making cars.
1: So it's like a callback to Mazda's roots and it does look really cool. But I also I was a little concerned about that because it's cork, but it's not as if it has any kind it doesn't feel like it has any kind of particular finish or coating or treatment or anything uh, like that over the top of it. So you wear it down. Same, Yeah. And the same with the felt. And my concern was the first time you manage to spill your coffee or drop a French fry on there, you're going to have like, how easy is it going to be to clean up stains on that? And I even thought about that on uh, on the door trim, because if you live someplace where it rains or where it snows, if you have to open that window to... Pick up drive through food or to pay a toll or something, it gets soaked. Like you can get a lot of rain and a lot of snow on that. It'll make a mark on some leather that you kind of have to, like, egad, like, take, you know, clean it off. I thought, what will this do to felt if it's constantly exposed to the elements? And maybe Mazda saying, okay, other than the food thing, we don't care because right now we're only selling it in California uh, and we don't have rain and we definitely don't have snow down here. So maybe. Maybe that was it, but I I loved how it looked, but I was a little bit nervous about how well that would hold up with day to day use. So that was my
0: summary. Yeah, I, I suspect that they have addressed that. You know, they've probably thought about that. Um, you know, one of the things they did talk about in the presentation uh, is the use of uh, of recycled materials, uh, you know, in the interior and. You know, some of the stuff you know they they, they, they have to, you know, they inter- inherently have to limit how much recycled material they incorporate into that, uh, like that fabric you know, is made from 20% percent recycled threads, uh, recycled fibers. Uh, you know so that's something that you know be, and the reason part of the reason why they have to do that is to get the durability that they need. You know, because um, they, they talked about, you know, when you're recycling um, fabrics, you know, every time you recycle it, you know, the fibers themselves get broken down and they, they get <coughs> chopped up. And and so you don't get the you don't, you're know you not going to get as much durability. So you can recycle things like that maybe three, four or five times before they are no longer useful for at least for that kind of application. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, that felt, you know, only includes, you know, 20% recycled materials and the rest is virgin materials in order to get the durability, the ability to clean it that you talked about. Um, I suspect with the cork, uh, even though it's not immediately apparent that, you know, that they have, you know, incorporated something in there, uh, to, you know, to allow, you know, to limit its absorption of anything you spill on it, uh, because, you know, they know well, stuff is gonna get spilled, and I would in the I car. would think
1: that, and like that's my assumption. Like, okay, they've they've considered the fact that it's literally part of those covers are by your cup holder, so you're reaching to flip open that cover, and you've got that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, Starbucks Frappuccino in your hand that's dripping molasses and caramel and whatever, and it's gonna get on things. But I mean, it's not a perfectly. I mean, it definitely it it looks beautiful and it feels beautiful. Like it has that that the cork texture. It's not like they've smoothed it out so much that it no longer feels like cork. You can feel that there's. Crevices and cracks. It's like an English muffin, like a thomas's mm-hmm. all the nooks and crannies. So you wonder if those nooks and crannies would tend to hold on to stuff. I don't know. Maybe I had too many kids in my car over my life who managed to get things stuck in perforated <laughs> leather seats that hold everything in those stupid little dots. That's kind of what I was thinking of.
0: I mean, we we've had you know we've had cork floor mats in our kitchen in the yeah. past. Um, you know, yeah, you know, by the by the stove and by the um, excuse me by the sink. Yeah, you know, and we've we've spilled stuff on it. It it cleans up fine. Okay, it, it hasn't really been a problem. Okay, uh, you know, so it's it's surprisingly durable. Okay, uh, in fact, you know, when we're we're we, uh, we're redoing the floor in our kitchen, uh, we're going to be redoing the floor in our kitchen shortly, and one of the materials we actually considered was cork uh, for the the kitchen. Um, we, you know, my wife opted for something different, um, for a variety of reasons, but it, it is surprisingly durable, a surprisingly durable material. So it will, I think it will hold up pretty well. Okay. <laughs> the, you know, the rest of this vehicle, you know, it, I think the thing, the thing that we have to keep in mind here is this is very much a compliance car. Yeah, you know, is building this. They say this it's thing. not. You know, they, they, they will <clears> insist <throat>
1: it's not in their presentation.
0: Yeah.
1: They little say it's not,
0: but I mean, the reality is it yeah. is. It, it's a compliance car. Did
1: you hear uh, how many units you know, they, they expect would, to sell?
0: Wait, 12?
1: Uh, no, you're, you're slightly I low. I know how many. Do you know how many it is, Sam? Did they say that during your thing?
0: No, I, they, they did, but I don't remember the number. It's 560. Not, it's
1: not a huge number. 560. 560. Five, yeah. six, zero. Right. It's a very small volume car.
2: Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense yeah. because, yeah, but
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is based on the platform of the CX 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a modified version of the CX 30. It's got a shorter wheelbase than the CX 30, um, and you know they're kind of following the strategy that Hyundai did with the original Ionic, uh, and and Toyota or Honda did with the uh, the Clarity, in that they've designed it to accommodate multiple powertrain configurations. So this first one that we're getting here in the US is uh, is a battery electric, because they have to sell a certain number of of those in California to meet the the zero emission vehicle mandate standards. But um, they're also going to have versions of this for various markets. Uh, they also have, you know, they already started selling this thing in Europe earlier this year, uh, where again, for, for the same reasons, but they're going to have versions of this that have a standard hybrid powertrain, plug-in hybrid, mild hybrid, and uh, a series uh, range extender, series hybrid range extender, which uh, that is actually the one that I'm probably the most interested in because that's the one that is using the rotary engine as the range extender. And that's coming, they're they, they declined to say exactly when it's coming, but mm-hmm. my get, my understanding is going to be sometime next year that one's going to arrive. Uh, so you'll have a little uh, rotary engine under the hood that drives a generator. So it's not going to be connected directly to the wheels. Uh, and that will provide, you know, that will uh, generate power to charge the battery and give you substantially more than that 100 miles of range when you need it. Um uh, and and there's also you know conventional, uh, piston engine, plug-in hybrid, and hybrid versions coming as well, but not necessarily for for the U.S. market, because what they're doing is they're targeting this this vehicle for global markets, and there's some places where, the charging infrastructure just isn't there, isn't isn't really set up, so you know that's where they're targeting the hybrid versions and the and the plug-in hybrids. Uh, you know it, it, they specifically mentioned Mexico as an example of where you'll see the hybrid and plug in hybrid variants uh, so this one will be available um, it's right now it's launching in California only but it will be available nationally starting sometime in 2022 uh, you know I think what's what impressed me about driving it is that when it it feels like a Mazda mm-hmm. when you drive it. You know, Mazdas have a certain feel. You know, they're meant to be drivers' cars. Uh, they, you know, the, the, it's got the same steering feel that you get in a CX-30 or a three, which is which is really good. Um, and they, um, one of the areas that they did a lot of focus on was the brake feel. Uh, you know, I I know from my own experience as an engineer, trying to blend regenerative braking and friction braking is actually a really hard problem. Uh, because the regenerative braking is pretty predictable in how it behaves, friction braking—you know, your conventional brakes where you've got brake pads that clamp onto a, a, a brake rotor—is um, a lot less predictable. You know, as the pads wear, uh, as they heat up, you know, they behave differently, and so modeling that to to try and make sure you get exactly the right amount of braking based on how hard the driver is applying the brake pedal. Um, is is actually really hard um, at, but at least you know within the, the couple of hours that we had with this thing uh, you know it you know it felt really good the, the you know there was nothing no jankiness in the pedal feel you know it felt very natural you know I tried modulating the brakes you know going up up and down on the brake pedal and it behaved very predictably exactly as I would expect it to now part of that is there they opted not to do kind of the one pedal braking type of system, you know, that you see on a lot of other EVs, um, you know, so, but you know, they do give you, they, they do use the, you know, what would normally be the paddle shifters on the back of the steering wheel to allow you to change the amount of regen, but it'll never bring the car down to a complete stop with, with just regen. Um, so, you know, I like, I like driving it. Um, I think, you know, you know, we've we've often said that you know, in agreement with what Mazda says, people buy way more range than they actually need. You know? and you know, the the reality is, you know, especially in California, 100 miles is is probably going to be fine for most driving. You know, like studies have shown that you know, 75 percent of all daily commutes are less than 40 miles. So, uh, you know, 100 miles of range is probably going to be fine for most people. Uh, you know, but then you know, Mazdas aren't necessarily intended to be for everybody. Uh, and one thing that Mazda is doing that's unique um, compared to any other manufacturer, certainly unique compared to what we saw with the first generation of EVs, like the first-gen Leaf and uh, the Fiat 500E and the Focus Electric you know, that had 700-mile range, is they've got a program where for the first three years of ownership, um, you get 10 days a year of free rentals. Um, you know, so if you're taking a road trip, you know, if you've, you've got to go somewhere farther than a hundred miles, you can, uh, go to your Mazda and go to your local Mazda dealer and you can choose any other vehicle in the lineup for up to 10 days a year free of charge. That's, that's all included in the price. And then after that, you know, they have a discount on those, on those rentals. So I think, uh, you know, I think it's, a um, you know, it, it works. It should actually work out pretty well for most drivers. You know that that choose the uh, the MX thirty. It's the
2: Toyota Mirai and the Honda Clarity um, um, fuel yeah. cell vehicle model. I mean that's what Toyota and, and and Honda have done with those. Well, the Clarity I think is gone, but uh, with the Mirai, you get you know 14 or 15 or whatever how many however many days a year of free uh toyota rentals so when you decide you want to leave northern california or southern california and go on an actual drive then you can you can get one of these cars um yeah so you know it's i don't think yeah 500 and something of five whatever that seems about right for sales (laughs) Five hundred.
1: What is it yeah. now? I forgot what it is. Five hundred sixty-nine.
2: Five hundred ninety-six. Yeah, that's. I right. mean, that's. It's clearly. It's. It's. it's it very six. much a, a compliance car. I mean, you could get a two thousand nineteen e Golf that has better specs
0: than this. So yeah. this is one twenty-five. The same fifty kilowatt. Um. Yeah, but the e Golf doesn't have those. <laughs> rear hinged half doors. Oh, that's true. Oh, are,
1: what did you think about those doors, Sam? So, so do we say that it, like you, your front doors open with your back doors? It's uh, they, like, people hate it when you call them suicide doors, but they flip backwards to get your access to the rear seat. Yeah. With I
0: mean, a little you know, B, you know, Mazda did that on the RX-8. They had the same kind of thing. You know, it was a two plus two coupe and you had those half hand half doors, you know, rear hinged half doors. Uh, BMW does it on the I three it's got a similar configuration. Uh, you know, I, I think you know the the rear seat legroom is not great, you know, it, because this thing is shorter than the MX Thirty. Uh, you know, if you if you regularly need to carry a couple of extra adults in your car, this may not be the best choice for you. Uh, <laughs> unless unless of course you happen to be you know short, um, and you drive with your seat well forward, uh, it's it's probably not not going to be the most comfortable car. But uh, you know, if you're you know single or a couple. Uh, using it as a commuter car, then it'd be fine for, for most of the time.
1: Yeah, and I do... What you said about the braking, I definitely noticed that as well. It's actually... It is, uh, in a good way, feel less like an EV when you're hitting the brakes when you're driving than some do. It, the, the 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 way they've modulated the brakes does feel incredibly smooth. You never... A lot of them, you it takes a little time for you to figure out, and then maybe mess with the regenerative brake settings to get that comfortable spot where you don't feel like it's either like it's grabbing too fast. You have to get used to them. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to get used to this at all. Like there was no time period was like, oh wait, I'm hitting that too hard. I'm hitting that too soft. Which is, yeah, that can be that can be a real issue on some cars, and it can be one that makes you know getting accustomed to driving it a little tricky.
0: Yeah, I mean you can you can get out of a CX-9 or a CX-30 and jump right into this thing, and feel mm-hmm. right at home. You know, it it's, it drives you know drives basically the same. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's I think it's uh, 140 horsepower <clears throat> um, and about 180 f- or 200 foot-pounds of torque, uh, which again you know is very, you know ends up giving you performance that's very comparable to a CX-30. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's. You know, it's right in that same ballpark. You know, it it's, you know, it's not a, it's not going to run with a you know a Tesla Model Three performance or anything like that. You don't uh, think? But it will. You know, it'll do no. But it, it's you know, it's more than enough for uh, for you know what people do on an average day. Uh, you know, and then they you know they took advantage of the behavior of the uh, of the electric motor. You know, its instant responsiveness. To incorporate that into their um, G vectoring control system, um, and at the end of the show, I've got an interview that I did the other day with uh, Jay Chen, who is the uh, head of powertrain for Mazda USA, and Dave Coleman, who's the head of vehicle dynamics, and we talked a lot about that stuff, you know, about the powertrain and the, um, uh, the 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 way this car handles. Uh, so uh, stay, you know, make sure you listen all the way to the end and. Uh, especially if you're into the more techie stuff. Uh, We had quite a good conversation about that stuff. All right. Anything else on the MX-30?
1: No, that covers it for me.
2: 560 people will buy it, and that's about it.
0: All right. Uh, Sticking with with EVs for a moment, Um, you probably heard in the news about uh, gasoline shortages in Britain. Uh, in recent weeks, um, apparently gas stations have been running out of fuel. They've had all kinds of problems with, uh, not being able to find enough truck drivers to drive the tankers, to deliver gas to the the gas stations. Um, and, uh, on, um, uh, Detroit Bureau the other day, uh, our, our friend, Mr. Eisenstein, uh, had an interesting article. Uh, let me find it here. Um, about uh, how this is turning to turning uh, some drivers in the UK towards EVs, more towards EVs. Um, and uh, he talked to somebody from uh, Auto Trader Group over there, uh, which is a search engine for you know people shopping for vehicles. And turns out that uh, they've had a huge increase. They've seen a huge increase. Uh, in drivers, ninety-four uh, percent uh, over the span of just one week, uh, people researching EV ownership and reviewing the EVs that they have uh, listed on the site um, and uh, on on Google uh, searches for EVs have climbed by sixteen hundred percent. That's one thousand six hundred percent since the crisis began a few weeks ago. Wow! Uh, so you know, a lot of people are now thinking that okay, you know. Post Brexit, you know, and you know, post COVID, you know, issues like this are likely to keep popping up. You know, supply chain issues. Uh, maybe I should just uh, you know make a switch to the EV and you know not have to deal with that anymore. What, what do you guys think about this?
1: Um, I mean, it's definitely something that would make people, I think, encourage them to start looking at EVs. But how many of those people will pull the trigger and do it? Like, you know, you're just looking and going, how much does it cost? What kind of range is there? What kind of options out there? You know, I wonder how many of those shoppers are just like. Looking because they're thinking, oh, I wonder if now's the moment. Or how many are saying, I am done with the internal combustion engine. Bring me my EV. Uh,
2: I mean, I, the, the, I mean, we'll have to find out out in six months when they see if there's a spike in EV uh, adoption in the in in the UK. But I think it, just the fact that people are looking at them and maybe test driving them. I mean, the so many thousand are looking at them. Maybe twenty percent might go and do a test drive, and maybe five percent might buy one. But it does. You know, it, it bodes well for EV adoption. And, you know, it's. I was talking to uh, FedEx and the uh, founder of FedEx. One of his things at one point was him and, like, some big government people, like, started a coalition where they talked about they, they were investigating uh, electric vehicles um, purely from a security standpoint because, that means you're not, you know, reliant on gas, you know, you know, fossil fuels from other countries. If you have electric vehicles, you are just reliant on making sure that you can, you know, supply electricity to your to your nation, um, versus trying to supply electricity and, you know, importing fossil fuels. So it's it's a, it's it's sort of a, you know, if you want to be able to say I'm self-sufficient in one way or another, you can get you know, uh, eat solar panels, a battery, and an EV, and be like, yeah, take that. I don't know whoever runs the, uh, I guess BP British Pet, British Petroleum.
1: There you go.
0: <laughs> well, BP I mean BP um, has invested heavily in the last few years in EV charging infrastructure. They bought uh, a couple of charging companies in the UK, uh, and um, you know they've been installing more and more chargers at their gas stations in in the UK. So, and, you know, the same thing's been happening with other oil companies in, in other regions where EVs are starting to take off, especially in Europe. Uh, we're getting a lot more chargers being installed at gas stations. So, you know, that's that's the sort of thing that I think we're going to see a lot more of uh, going forward as demand uh, for fuel maybe starts to dry up a little bit over the next decade. Yeah, you know, these companies are going to be looking for other lines of business to make up for that. Got to make
2: your money. I mean, you already have the infrastructure, you already have places, they already have electricity. I mean, most of them, a lot of them have, uh, what do you have it, those giant car washes. So that's not going <laughs> to, so they're wired, they're wired for giant power. So, um, I don't know how much a giant car wash costs. <laughs> when it comes, to, I don't know how much electricity a giant car wash uses. But if they can put, if they can put an EA uh, electro America charging station at the um, at the IHOP near my house, <laughs> I'm sure they can put them. At
1: them. the IHOP, <laughs> oh my goodness! It's, now I pancakes.
2: I want, yeah, you guys want some? Uh, what is it rudy Tooty, Fresh and Fruity? While well, you're charging your EV, there's the, you can do that
0: near near where I live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, we have one comment, more of a comment than a, than a question, um, before we get into that interview. Um, this is uh, from Sean Whitehurst. He asks, or he says, uh, so I'm a few episodes behind, but I think losing the, uh, the tank mode on the Rivian is a big loss for the urban crowd. In cities with alleys behind houses, it would be great. My alley is just over a car length wide, and I can fit a Suburban, possibly two, in my garage if uh, if taken it it takes a half a dozen maneuvers with tank turning, it would be a lot easier as people move back into cities where there are freestanding homes readily available to have charging hookups, these customers are going to choose for ease of use. Um, so what do you think? would you, you, know, I, have you well, first of all, have you ever lived in an area where you've got you know an alley behind your house, you know, to access your garage? And do you think something like uh, a tank turn capability would be useful to you?
1: That kind of let you pivot, right? Refresh memory. No, the no, tank no, turn, no, Rivian. No, let no, you sur- yeah, okay. that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah,
0: they 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 showed a Rivian showed a video about a year or so ago where they were using because they've got a motor tied to each wheel, and so they can run the wheels on opposite sides of the vehicle in opposite directions, um, so it can turn on its own. The whole vehicle can turn on its own axis.
1: Uh, I've never lived someplace that required that kind of. Access to get in and out of my driveway or to get in and out of my garage. I mean, I can see how that would have been a huge boon for people who live in tight, congested areas. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that would, do you think that would make someone choose to buy that truck versus another truck? I don't know. Is that like, is that that big of a Selling feature. Like, how high would that rate on the list? Did you guys live someplace with a really tight turn into your garage like that?
2: I I lived in a... When I lived in the city, I had a fire hydrant in front of my garage. So um, you had to come in at this very weird angle where you almost hit a light pole. So you had to go through a light pole and uh, uh, a... um, a fire hydrant and then Jeez. go in and then turn and there was and it was it was difficult if you didn't know how to do it and it took you know once once you know how to do it it wasn't hard but it wasn't easy um, it was I could get an LR3 I could get a a, a Land Rover in there I could get a, a Mazda uh, not a Mazda a Model X in there um, okay. but it was it took like five minutes to get it out um, I don't think tank, <laughs> I don't think tank turn was really going to help me so much and I think that's such a yeah, like Tank Turn is such a, like, it's like 30th on a list of things. It's just like a fun, right. goofy thing that you can do. And if you're buying a Suburban and you live in this really tight thing and you live in the city, it's like, where are you parking the Suburban when you're driving around? <laughs> Right? I think you just learn. <laughs> I think the thing is you just – this is the this is the garage that I have. This is the vehicle that I have. After about a month, you just know how to get that vehicle into the thing without tanker. You tank figure turn. it out. You figure it's it out, yeah. And and now yeah. when we have, like, all the sensors and you have the camera on the back, like, all that makes it, like, a thousand times e- easier. Although when I would pull cars out of my garage, I would have to turn everything off because it would just be beep, because everything was so close. And I was... Within, all the
0: parking sensors. Yeah, all
2: the parking sensors were losing their mind. And I'd be like inches from like essentially just ripping the sheet metal off the side of all these uh, vehicles, which now I can tell because I don't live there anymore. So now the automakers don't know that that was what was happening every day with their cars. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you just learn. Yeah. You know, it-
0: yeah, the the other yeah the other downside to uh, tank turn in that kind of scenario, you know, when they showed that original video a year or so ago, yeah, you know, that was it was in a dirt field where it was doing that, um, which is fine. You yeah. know, if you're if you're out on a trail, being able to swivel around like that, it's great. But you know, if you're in the city, you know, if you're in an alley, unless the alley is you know yeah. unpaved, um, you're going to be scrubbing those tires oh, I doing didn't that tank that. turn. I- Because there's no give on the asphalt. And you're going to be wearing out... Yeah. yeah, so you're going to be wearing, you're going to be going through tires every couple of thousand miles if you're doing that all the time. I think That on would pavement. be on your
1: tires. Oh my god, that would be murder on your tires if you had pavement. It's yeah. Just
0: like, every time yeah. there'd just be these it's black
1: spots. There'd be all this black <laughs> slip spot where you did your tank turn. And that be, that's how you'd know. Like that's here's a spot. It's all black rubber on the pavement.
2: Yeah, yeah. I do have a friend who 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 saw somebody who's walking through the city of San Francisco, and they had just got home with their new car. It still had the like the Monroney on the side. And it was an H, uh, an H three, and he saw them trying to pull into the garage. And it turned out the car was too tall. The truck was too. The, the SUV was too tall. And he's like, no. "Oops!" <laughs> and he laughed. He pointed and laughed at him like Nelson from The Simpsons. <laughs> And you feel I kind of feel bad, but also I'm like you don't think about that when you buy a car. That I
1: feel like if you're going to buy a gigantic vehicle, you should know unless you have a knowingly gigantic garage. You should be like, wait a minute,
2: wait a second,
1: what's the height of this thing, and how tall is my how garage? Tall I tall is like I check that.
2: Someone yeah. got very excited at the dealership, and I they like, bought yes, an I H. Want it. Yeah. One of twelve people who bought the H <laughs> three, and then um, I guess they just parked it on the street. Which good luck with that in San Francisco, which is wow. Okay. Uh, someone who's lived there, who lived there for uh, nearly 20 years, it's, uh, buy a small car. That's all I'm going to tell
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, another one uh, from uh, Bryn Barenhausen on uh, Twitter, uh, and he actually uh, retweeted a uh, comment a tweet from somebody else from uh, mass for shut-ins podcast uh said cars need separate horns for hello uh just fyi the light has changed and have a good one and FU, you um <laughs> and then uh, Brent asks so why did town and country horns stop being a thing anyway I don't even remember having separate horns. Was, is there ever, was, did we there's, ever there's, have separate horns? I think we have separate ways of using the horn, like a, like
2: a quick tap with the fist, like you'd you, like you make a little thing. You tap yeah. it, and instead it hold, of holding it down, is like the fu. But a quick tap is like when you're at the light, yeah. like it's like a beep. That's just like hey,
1: there's this wake up just to, just to say hey guy,
0: the the lights turned green. <laughs>
1: I'll have to look for it. I have the. There's this comedian that occasionally does these like you know two or three minute videos, and he had a whole thing about the different kinds of horns and what like this tap, that tap, what it means. And by the end, he's at the like I'm gonna run you over. I hate you. Tap like slamming on the horn. But all the different etiquette for what you know the light. I'm just you know it's okay. Hey, get moving. You, really, you it's a you have to learn how to finesse it, because you got to be able to say to someone, hey, just get out of the way a little. Hey, really get out of the way. Or if you move, the light's been green for a minute and a half. Like, yeah. You need to be what able are to are that doing? Control. Get off
2: your phone. Yeah. Get off this. Yes. The, the tap is like, bleep, get off your phone. The double yeah. tap. The
1: tap is like, did you forget? Yes. Did
2: you forget you're driving a car? I'm sorry. Yeah. Bleep, bleep, but the <laughs> bang, that's like you, you're messing up. You're, 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 you're. I had
1: someone do that to me the other day at a red light. I'm at a red light and he just honks. I'm like, it's red. I don't know what See, to do. See, here's the other thing is that sometimes when
2: you're doing things, you, actually, you accidentally hit the horn. Has that ever happened where you're behind somebody and you accidentally hit the horn for oh, however I've done that weird? and I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry.
1: He didn't mean to hug See, you. that's where you need
2: another horn where you're like, did it, did it, like a little The apology horn. The apology like the oops horn. I
1: didn't mean
2: it. The problem is that not everyone is aware of horn etiquette. So we, that's, we I don't know why we don't teach stuff like that in school where you're like, that's okay.
1: That's what you should tap. You should tap learn how, how this, to do that in tap. driver's ed. Yeah.
2: Yes. yeah. Do we even have driver's ed? From from what I seen on the road, we don't. But okay.
1: <laughs> we do. My daughter um, just went sure through we it, and anymore. it was terrible. The classes were awful. She learned nothing. She also had the instructor say to her um, at the very beginning of the class that um, they were the kids who already started driving with their mothers needed to spend some time on learning everything that their moms told them because we didn't know how to drive. Wow. Yeah. I almost wanted to punch him in the nose. That's bad. I didn't punch him in the nose because there were a limited number of driver's ed classes, but I was (sighs) like, all right, are you kidding me, buddy? Yeah, he it's, made it's, a little it's
2: not, it's, it's not in school, though, right? It's like the thing you had to pay for. It's like an. Aw- I
1: paid for this. I paid for some. You paid for jerk You paid for
2: misogyny. That's great.
1: I paid for. <laughs> I paid for misogyny. I paid about seven hundred dollars for misogyny wow. so my daughter could get a driver's license. Yeah.
2: We when I was in high school, we had to take a whole. Yeah, it was a whole quarter. Like you just took driver's ed. Like it was like a regular wow. school class. You had to take it, and then at the end, you got to drive around in a car.
1: No, we had to pay for it. There's one driver's ed class at our high school that has like, uh, there's like four or 500 kids in a class. There's one driver's ed class in the spring and one driver's oh. ed class in the fall. So you could never get into it. You always have to go pay for it somewhere. What?
0: So. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 my kids were learning to drive, you know, they took, You know, driver's ed outside of school. They didn't, you know, they didn't take, they didn't get it at school. Uh, but then I gave them supplementary lessons on uh, vehicle dynamics, you know, how to, (laughs) how to handle a vehicle in the snow, doing some skid control. You know, we went in the high school parking lot after it snowed Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, you know, had, you know, I was, I was in the, uh, the passenger seat with my hand on the, on the uh, e-brake the parking brake, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you know, proper, proper, you know, mechanical parking brake, you know, so I could put it into a skid and, you know, teach them how to steer into the skid, all that, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's great. Yeah. we well, just- Cause you never get that kind of thing that any driver has. No, I
1: took my kid, we also went down to the high school and I was like, okay, big empty parking lot, slam on the brakes of the car. Bah! I'm like, okay, here's why you don't do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, you yeah, know, use that as an opportunity to show them, you know, here's what it feels like when your ABS mm-hmm. activates and your traction yeah. control activates. Oh, you know, yeah, especially that all, that all, all the kind of stuff I used to work on. They should
1: out. teach that. And, you know, they really don't have any situation, drivers, where they ever get the opportunity to see how all those sort of safety systems work and what does it feel like when your car when you know when when you do lose traction and uh, that would be such a benefit cuz the first time most people feel that is when it actually happens and you suddenly think oh yeah. wh- holy crap i'm sliding or whatever you know
2: usually when their avos are friends doing well, something and,
0: stupid uh, yeah yeah and and you know for for what it's worth you know most uh, like racing schools also offer you know special classes for teen drivers you know uh you know car control skid control uh you know and they you know they'll use you know skid cars that have you know these outriggers on them with actuators that unload the 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 back wheels and things like that you know so they can make it understeer and oversteer um and you know to teach you how to how to control a car you know how to regain control of a car out of a car and you know they're not cheap you know, it can be a couple of thousand dollars, but it's actually probably a really good investment, you yeah. know, in well, you know, making your look, kid a safer I, driver.
1: I can't think of it because this conversation came up last minute. So this wasn't something we were like planned to talk about. But a couple of the automakers, I want to say it might be Ford and Kia. I could be wrong on that. They offer some things where they come and they do sort of like free classes that they come like what they mm-hmm. did one at Foxborough Stadium once. I think it was Ford. And They let us come as journalists to try and do it, and they had a bunch of teenagers there, and it literally taught you what, like, they had the goggles to wear so you could see what it was like if you were drunk and you were trying to drive and how hard it is, like, and crazy and don't ever do it. And they had the same thing, the ski control, and they had tires that were worn and tires that weren't worn so you could see how well your car braked with the right tires versus how poorly it breaks when your tires, you know, it was a really valuable class. The- the,
0: it was it was called driving skills yes, for life. That was it. Uh, is is the name of the program? And yeah, they would go around the country to different locations yeah. doing it. Uh, I don't think they've done it the last two Probably years for COVID, obvious reasons, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. but
0: you um, know, the, the, but I I would I would thing, hope that when things settle down, that they will resume that.
1: Well, and you know, it was neat because I believe that a parent could come, and there weren't. There were a couple of parents there but there were maybe three or four of us that were journalists the neatest thing was the kids all thought like all of them uniformly thought the reason that they couldn't drive um with the drunk goggles on was because they were kids who didn't know how to drive yet they're like i bet you guys can do this and i was like heck no. What makes you think that just because I drive a lot, if I was drunk, I could drive, they literally were not trusting it. So that all the adults were like, no, 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 no. I will show you how slot like, and you try and do it. You put those goggles on. It's like, holy heck. They, the kids were disbelieving that it was really that hard. They were thinking it was because it was like, oh, I'm just a kid. So if you ever do one of these, there's an opportunity for you to try to do some of the stuff your kid does, did, like did. Do it, because it teaches them it's not just they're young and inexperienced. I, there are some things you should never do, like drive drunk or drive you know high or whatever. Don't do that stuff. I think teenagers
2: you know? are, are, are naturally distrustful yeah. of adults, and they feel like they're being tricked a lot of the time. And we're like, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you are being tricked a lot of the time, but sometimes not so much.
1: <laughs> right. Sometimes it's like, no, really, you can't drive sometimes drunk. Sometimes it's for it your own good. Stuff. Sometimes yeah. none
2: of us can drive drunk. No, it's a bad thing. Right. Don't drive dr- yeah. No, 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 no,
1: no. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. So.
0: All right. Last one is from uh, I'm a nuisance, and he asks, uh, or they they ask. I don't know if it's male or female. Um, how many times will Roberto's dog bark during the podcast?
3: Uh,
2: well, the answer this week is zero. Today? They, zero. W- they've uh, been nope. asleep. It's a, uh, and it's a weird. So we we okay. So we do the podcast at times that the dogs are typically outside we usually record in the morning so I get up in the morning I let them out to go to the bathroom which they have one yard for the bathroom and they have another <laughs> giant backyard to run around and just be insane and so usually at the time we're, we're, we're doing the podcast they are out in the backyard so they're all like jumpy or we do the podcast in the afternoon and in the afternoon after I get off uh, um, I usually work till 5 p.m. even though I'm freelance I try to keep like regular human type, type ish hours. Um, I'll take them to the dog park or they'll go out in the backyard again. And so those are, so both times are kind of like, they're like, yeah, let's go party. And so, um, I stop the party,
0: um, for your benefit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes yeah. the dog, well,
0: like, no. you know, the la- Last episode, you know, uh, Bowie, you know, was barking quite a bit. And I, I tried to cut out most of those. I think I missed one or two. Um, so uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry,
2: he's that. he's very but this week. He's
0: there, he. Nope. Yeah, he has a very even if he's in the other
2: room, you can and the doors closed, you can really hear him. And I can't. And the other one is a puppy, so I can't just sort of leave her to her own devices for a few hours while we're doing the podcast. Because if I do, at the end of the podcast, there's a disaster. Destruction. <laughs> there's <Yeah>. something. <laughs> something is broken. <laughs> and now I have to a replace it or fix it or figure out what she has eaten, and hope that she passes it. <laughs> it'll it'll be better when when Nico gets a little older. But but yeah, because yeah, Nico sort of gets Bowie all excited about but, barking. But
0: but but life is always better with dogs. So you know, an occasional yes, bark it it's it's worth it. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. With that, we're. Um, uh, Right after we say goodbye, uh, we will have the interview that I did uh, the, earlier this week with uh, Jay Chen and Dave Coleman. Jay is the uh, head of Powertrain for Mazda USA, and um, Dave is head of uh, Driving or Vehicle Dynamics. And uh, we talk about a whole bunch of cool stuff about the MX-30. So stay tuned for that right after we say goodbye, and uh, we'll see you next time.
2: Bye, guys. Bye-bye.
0: Uh, hey, this is Sam here. I've got um, uh, Jay Chen, who is the powertrain manager for the new Mazda MX-30, and Dave Coleman, who is the vehicle dynamics manager for the MX-30. Um, and I uh, just had a chance to uh, drive this uh, vehicle yesterday. Uh, Nicole's driving it tomorrow. We're not going to talk about the um, our driving impressions just yet, but um, during the presentations before we went out for a drive, uh, Jay and Dave talked about some really interesting things uh, around the the design of this vehicle. Um, the The MX-30 is is a unique product for, for Mazda. Mazda is an interesting company as, as an automaker. They've always kind of marched to the beat of their own drummer. They've done things a little differently. A you know, long-time proponent of Wankel Rotary Engines, which I love. Um, still build Miatas, which are an increasingly rare type of vehicle in the world today. Um, and the MX-30, your first EV. Um, and let's start off with just kind of an overview of, of this vehicle, quick overview um, about you know the the platform and what, what was the overall strategy in designing this vehicle?
4: Well, I don't know. If, <laughs> we're, we're, we're both sitting here waiting for the other guy to start talking. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll, I'll kick off with that. Um, really, we're, we're um, just dipping our toe into the EV landscape right now. Um, but the idea is we're, we're building this off of a, uh, a CX-30 platform, um, and but trying to really differentiate it from the CX-30 itself. So that's why it's, it's riding on a completely different body. Um, but w- what you see a lot of times when um, in the EV world is you see either a really expensive high-performance uh, EV or something that is pretty expensive but expensive but feels really cheap um and this comes from the fact that the batteries themselves are really expensive and, and drive up you know the base price of the car and so your two strategy strategies are either you you spend all of your budget on batteries and cheap out on the interior cheap out on the body cheap out on everything else that makes the car pleasant to exist uh in. or you start from the expensive platform and you build a really expensive car um, we wanted to take a different approach and try to balance the the uh, battery size versus vehicle quality thing differently, so that you actually have a nice car to drive at an affordable price. Um, and so that's why we come into this segment with what most people will think is a surprisingly low range uh, of hundred miles. Um, We've really found that if if you really look at the way people drive, uh, 100 miles is plenty for most of their driving. Um, they only will occasionally take a long trip. And so by putting a smaller battery in the car, we're able to deliver the rest of the car at a much higher level. So you have a really nice high-quality interior, really great driving experience. Um, and then we can cover the few times when you need the longer range than that by simply letting the people who own the car borrow a Mazda from their local dealer. We The car comes with a plan where you have um, – Oh boy, I have to remember the exact. I think it's first three years, Uh, ten days a year. Yeah, it's first three years. I think it's ten days a year where you can borrow another car. So realistically, how many days a year are you on a road trip? Okay, you're you're traveling uh, car journalist, so you don't count. (laughs) Neither do I. But normal normal people uh, that covers their long driving trips, and then the the rest of the time, um, they have enough range for their daily driving. And this is really um, both a better play, I think, for balancing where you put the cost of the car so we can have a more pleasant car to live with, but also for balancing. um, If you look at, you know, batteries as a resource, Um, we could build a 300-mile range car or we could build three of this car with the same number of batteries. Um, And so this this is a much better use of the batteries rather than dragging heavy batteries around all the time in a car that that you're not actually using those batteries, carry around the number of batteries that you're actually going to use, and then take a road trip into one of our other cars.
3: Right, and, and Dave hits on it as a much more practical solution. I mean, just as Mazda is just dipping our toes into the EV waters, I think there's customers there are customers that are doing that. You know, there's customers that are just full on. You know, uh, you know all out go. Uh, into the EV world, but we're we're targeting customers that are you know a little bit timid about it, and they want to get into a car that they can, you know, feel good about, feel comfortable, and drives normally, intuitively, like like their gas car that they're used to, right? And not have to deal with the a- range anxiety. Um, the the thing is, you know, as Dave says, this Mazda MX Thirty, uh, um, Elite Loner Pro. I think if you're going to take that handful of road trips in a year. I would prefer to not have to deal with a lot of the existing charging infrastructure on a long, long road trip. I would just do it in a gas car. As we've been saying, things kind of progress hand-in-hand, side-by-side, infrastructure range, infrastructure range, right? It's not all one or the other. So um, I think the main point is that we want our customers who are looking at the MX to feel comfortable getting into an EV and not be totally blown away by this uh, alien landscape and this wild, wild west of, of, uh, of, of uh, EV life.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, that, that approach of, you know, having that loaner program is, I think, is, is a really good solution. I mean, it's certainly something I've talked about over the years, you know, un- until relatively recently, when we've um, started getting EVs with longer ranges. Uh, the the idea that, you know, most people do are not road tripping every week. They're, you know, they do it a couple times a year, you know, they take a summer road trip with the family or, you know, go visit the grandparents or whatever it might be. And most of the time they're just driving around town. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Mo- car buyers are not always necessarily completely rational in their, their <laughs> decisions. They, they 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 tend they tend to people tend to buy for their worst case use case condition. You know they they may you know they may get uh, a big SUV or a pickup truck because they need to tow their boat you know out to the lake in the springtime and and haul it out of the lake in the fall. But they're not using it as a truck most of the time. Similarly for something like this, you know they're commuting most you know most of the time and a couple times a year they might need something for longer ranges and i think this is a really interesting solution of course it's not the the only solution that you've got planned you've got a whole range of of, um, options available that that you've got coming you know for, for both for different markets and different use cases jay can you talk a little bit more about what you know the the using this particular vehicle architecture, the CX thirty architecture. What are you going to be able to do with um, with the MX thirty and different different variations um, of powertrains?
3: Well, so you know, Mazda being a smaller company, we we still take sustainability and mobility seriously, right? And so, when we with our resources, when we look at solutions for for mobility and, and all that, we have to look at it from a world perspective. It's not like we developed the MX thirty specifically just for the U.S. market or for this or that market. So, by doing that, if we have this platform to start, uh, you know, get getting really seriously electrified, we need to offer solutions for different regions now. Um, different regions have different charging infrastructure. I'm sure we all realize that. And a lot of people don't realize is that the power generation in different regions is also different. So let's say, for example, if you're living in California, we have a lot of solar, we have a lot of wind. If you're living in Norway or or Scandinavian countries, you have geothermal, you have wave, you have a lot of really clean energy. And in that way, it makes sense to use a lot of EV and charging. But if you were living in a place that, well, was using a lot of burning coal or even let's say clean burning clean LPG. Well, that's still generating CO2. And so do you really want to be be using CO2 and inefficiently transporting over the grid and putting into your EV so you could drive? So the concept behind this is that we offer the MX-30 using this multi-solution scalable architecture. Long words, but basically it means we could put different Lego pieces of powertrain into it. There's space for Uh, a gasoline or internal combustion generator, Um, we can reallocate battery sizing and put a small fuel tank in there or a large fuel tank. Or, you know, we can shift different battery sizes, small, medium, large. And, you know, the engine size can also potentially be changed. So this gives us the solution to build anything from a mild hybrid um, inside the MX-30 platform, to a strong or conventional hybrid that, that has been on the market for for many years, which is still good, it gets better MPG. We could build it as a range extender, a plug-in hybrid, or in the case of the first initial release for California and then subsequently other states, um, it would be a full battery electric, but it has to make sense, right? It has to make sense for the customer, it has to make sense for the environment, it has to make sense for us as a manufacturer too. Um, yeah, we got questions, well, why aren't you offering this BEV uh, in these states? Well. Yeah, it might be a novelty item for certain people that really want it, but like we said, you know, the infrastructure, the energy, everything's going to kind of move in pace with each other. It's, you know, selling this on sale for for that one region, for that one customer that wanted it, just like our diesel uh, wagon Mazda six. You know, <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. So um, that's the main thing about the scale bar architecture, and it's uh, right tool, right solution being environmentally responsible. Um, and it's different for different regions throughout the world and throughout maybe uh, even one market like North America.
4: Yeah, I think so, you left brown off of your example of the diesel manual wagon. Oh yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A, for brown. And too. Yes. It, has it has to be right. a yeah. manual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and, and yeah. if Someone you had if that. you had
0: offered that car that that brown manual Mazda 6 diesel wagon, I would have bought that.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you and three other people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so with with some of these other variants, um, you know, will we be seeing, uh, I, you know, I think there's there's been some discussion of you know a, a range extended or series hybrid um, version of the MX30 uh, following the, the the battery electric uh, here in the US. market? Is that something that we'll be seeing uh, in the the not too distant future?
3: Well, um, we we have officially announced that uh, for North America we will be releasing a series plug-in hybrid version of the MX30, um, and so that is taking the scalable architecture and we are now putting an internal combustion engine into it. And because it's a series hybrid, um, it would the the engine is not connected to the drive wheels; it's just generating power. Right. So this is this mis- mixed match, and so this solution would be a slightly different customer a slightly different usage need right you your teenager that wants to do their more common road trips but wants to feel clean and green and that can commute around town and with adequate you know get to school or you know run their errands and this and that um so uh yeah I, I, as far as release dates and, and all those additional things i don't want to take away from our launch of the battery electric version right now um but it is we understand that it's You know, it's a customer that might be looking for just a slightly different permutation of the usage for the current mx30 battery electric version
0: one one last uh question about that before we move on uh Mm -hmm. will will that series plug-in hybrid will that be the one with the the rotary engine
3: um i don't know what we've officially released as far as the uh powertrain um and i think zach or one of the pr guys uh can uh, answer that for you. Um, if, if we've announced exactly what it is, then uh, um, we I, I'll okay. be more than happy to discuss I, it with you.
0: I know I know Mazda has been granted a patent on that on that architecture, so um, we'll hopefully uh, hopefully we'll see the return of the rotary uh, in the not too distant future as part of the MX thirty lineup or, or other vehicles from from Mazda. Um, all right, so moving on, um, you know, uh, continuing with the with electrification electric drive. And also starting to blend in some of the vehicle dynamics uh, uh, characteristics of this car that uh, that you talked about, uh, Dave. Um, you know the the one of the beauties of, of electric motors is their responsiveness, that instant torque, and that that ability to control it very precisely, um, which gives you a number of advantages, both in terms of drivability that you've talked about, Jay, and and also uh, a new take on the uh, G vector and control system that Mazda has had for a number of years now. Um, can you talk about how those two things uh, work hand in hand and what that uh, does for you?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Let me back up one step even before that, um, just to explain sort of the, the layout of this vehicle with a, with a lot of battery weight in the car, really down low and really far back uh, and a relatively small drive motor in the front. The weight balance of the car has completely shifted from where a CX-30 is about 60% on the front tires and 40% on the rear. This is 60% on the rear tires, 40% on the front. Which And the center of gravity is really low. It's about two inches lower than in a CX-30. So what this is giving us sort of as a starting point is the weight distribution uh, and, and center of gravity of like a mid-engine sports car, which is, uh, can be both good and bad. Mid-engine sports car handling potential is really high. But the dynamics can feel a little bit strange for someone who isn't a really uh, kind of pro driver or good at sorting out how different cars work. Um, The problem with a mid-engine car is because the front end is so lightly loaded, the turn-in response isn't very good. The tire doesn't have enough vertical load on it. to really have the direct response to that initial uh, steering wheel input. So uh, a good driver, what they'll do is when they're coming into a corner, will trail brake, and that will shift weight onto the front tires and make the front end bite and make the steering response be the way they're expecting it to, to be. Um, and that feeds into what we're doing here with G-Vectoring Control. So G-Vectoring Control is a system that we developed a couple of years ago. Based on that very concept of looking at what professional drivers do to make a car handle better, they are constantly doing weight shifting forward and back onto the front tires off the back of the 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 front tires so you you shift onto the front tires that turn in to make the car turn in better and then you shift it onto the rear tires which are pointed straight to help the car straight back out out of a corner and a good driver will do that completely subconsciously and what we've done is just automated that so that we we take input from the electric power steering computer and it looks at your steering wheel speed and uses that to tell the powertrain to reduce power a little bit and shift weight onto the front tires and what we end up with is a much more direct consistent Uh, steering response that that really makes it the controllability of the car very very natural Um, the sort of the steps that we're able to take it farther with the electric powertrain is how quickly the powertrain can respond and how precisely it can respond and how often it can respond so if our weight transfer when we turn the wheel is controlled by reducing engine power uh, there's an obvious problem there that when you're not driving the car so you're coasting or or, or braking or going downhill, there's nothing to reduce. We can't do weight transfer in those conditions where we're not actually accelerating or at least pulling along the car at constant speed. With an electric motor, we can't. We can always do a little weight shift because the electric motor can do regenerative braking. And even if we're already off throttle and in full regen, there's a little bit more regen we can always throw in uh, with GVC. So every time you turn the wheel, we're automatically shifting weight onto those front tires and making it behave as if it were a normal front bias car in terms of steering response but then in terms of grip balance uh because we have the weight more evenly distributed between all four tires all four tires are doing their job to help the car go around the corner so it's really kind of a a a best of both worlds scenario where we get the handling potential of a mid-engine car and the natural driving dynamics of a front engine car all pieced together in a car with no engine at all
0: Yeah, what one of the interesting things that, that you mentioned in the presentation um was uh you know, with with an ICE doing G vectoring control, um you know, once you lift off the throttle uh and you're coasting, you don't have any torque there that you can manipulate. Right. But There's with an EV, with an electric you motor, factor. you still have that. you know, can you talk a little bit more about that?
4: Right. So uh, the the best we can do with an ICE system is make the car steering response behave the same way that it would if you're off-throttle. So off-throttle, the car has a certain steering response, and on-throttle, the steering response will get a little bit weaker because the weight shifted off the front tires. And using this this automatic weight transfer system with GVC, we can make the car behave the same way it did when you were coasting, right? That's, that's the maximum potential we can do. With the, the electric motor, we can do that weight transfer even when you're off throttle even when you're coasting even when you're doing regenerative braking so we can sort of aim for our ideal steering response and use the amount of weight transfer that we need to get that response in every condition uh, so what that combined with the fact that in a very weird roundabout way an electric vehicle lets us have a stiffer tire um simply because of the way the powertrain is mounted differently Um, And the way that we don't have to worry about making the powertrain bounce on its mounts, um, which is kind of an esoteric suspension tuning problem that we have. I won't bore you with that. Um, But we have a stiffer tire and a a stronger GVC response, which gives us this really direct natural steering response. Um, So we're we're really happy with the way the the car steers and handles, which kind of brings us back to the thing about you're talking about how people don't buy their car completely on rational reasons. Um, we're quite pleased with that because we spend a lot of our effort doing completely (laughs) rational things, like making the car fun to drive. (laughs) Yeah, Um, you don't, right? So, so yeah, there is still plenty of room for passion and enjoyment in an electric car. Let me tell you, (laughs) Uh,
0: Jay. um, You know, with the electric motors, um, you know, you talked about um, the minimum jerk theory and uh, you know how how jerk impacts the way a a drive. Passengers in the or occupants in the vehicle perceive the the performance. Can you talk a bit about that and and how uh, an EV helps you to um, to minimize jerk?
3: Wow, that's a it, that's a complicated one. Um, the the EV really actually helps us control jerk as we intended to. Um, just as a rehash, uh, you know. Jerk is is the change of acceleration, and uh, going back to our, our simple simplified analogy, when you ride in a school bus, it has a lot of you know jerk as the guy as the driver changes gears and this and that. It's uncomfortable, right? And for those of us that have ridden as passengers in some EVs, we kind of get that feeling. Uh, the flip side, um, if you have minimum jerk, a very natural intuitive motion that that we as humans like say, like riding on a bullet train, you don't feel this jerk, but you can still get a lot of things done. You can still accelerate at a very high rate. So basically, we as humans like to do things with the least amount of jerk necessary and the smoothest profile. And that's just to save energy and you know minimize wear and tear. Well, the electric motor is is very powerful and very responsive, as, Jay, as Dave has already alluded to. Um, and so it gives the ability to generate a tremendous amount of, uh, of jerk or change in acceleration in a very short amount of time and that could be very good if you had this very high intention but um it's not always that case right we're not always driving to be a jerk on the freeway or or, or this <laughs> and that right so um that's different <laughs> definitions of jerk here yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's that's right i should probably the engineering uh, definition that. <laughs> versus the sociological <laughs> definition <laughs> yeah um but uh, yeah, you know, so I think we recognize that not all people want to drive in that manner. And even though an electric vehicle offers these opportunities, we intentionally tuned our vehicle to one primarily mimic the intention of the driver in a smooth, equal motion. But at the same time, not be so touchy, sensitive that it can that that could be uncomfortable for the driver, uncomfortable for the passenger. Or be at times even difficult to control maybe you hit a hot pothole and your foot accidentally tipped into the gas a little bit and the car jumped forward you know that's completely possible with the ev and so back to the target customer and that the intention um, when we released this car we wanted to make sure that hey this is an intuitive natural transition for the guy that's got their second car, that's the ICE and they're driving that and they get into this or their wife gets into this for one day and isn't completely freaked out by it, you know, say, Oh yeah. Okay. That's cool. And it's quiet. And it does all the things that I expected to. And, uh, um, you know, it's not a science project to figure out how to get this thing running or even driving smoothly. Hopefully that answers what you were after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a good explanation for the, for the listeners, uh, of, you know, how, how all this stuff works together. Um, so, one, you know, one of the other, um, it, you know, beautiful things about electric motors is that unlike an ICE, the process is completely reversible. You know, you can put energy into a motor and get torque to drive the vehicle, or you can use the motion you have to get energy back out of the motor. You know, once you burn the gasoline, you're, you know, you're done. You know. <laughs> Realist, I mean, realistically, you're never going to convert that exhaust back into fuel on board a vehicle. Um, can you talk about how uh, on the MX-30 you're handling regenerative braking and and what the, the benefits of that are?
4: Go for it, Jay. This is, this is an interesting area that sort of crosses over between Jay's <laughs> department and, and my department, of course, because the regenerative braking – uh, is part of the powertrain department's job, but the implications of what that regenerative braking do ha- have all kinds of effects uh, on on what we have to do on the chassis side. Um, so, yeah, th- at the most basic level, of course, we get to basically reverse the purpose of the motor and turn it into a generator uh, when you get off the, the throttle, and use the inertia of the car to charge the batteries, which is which is a you know a really one of the, the biggest benefits in an electric car. One of the reasons that you have some things that run against your intuitive understanding of, of cars. Um, you're used to you know, looking at how much range you have left in your tank and if you get stuck in traffic, uh, that range might not be enough because of course uh, you know in stop and go traffic the car's less efficient. Electric cars the exactly the opposite. It's more efficient than stop and go traffic because uh, for every every time you decelerate, you're just putting energy back into the battery and you're not throwing away a bunch of energy pushing air around the car because you're moving so slowly. So it's one of those things that just sort of, you know, you have to re- reorient your mind of, to what seems intuitively obvious uh, when you're driving one of these cars. Um, but in terms of making the, uh, the, the amount of, Sort of engine braking feel that you get from regenerative braking, making that intuitive for people is tricky because what people want really seems to vary a lot person to person. Some people are used to a car where they let off the gas and it just coasts. Some people are used to uh, uh, prefer a car where you let off the gas and it slows down really hard. It probably goes back to what they learned to drive on. They learn to drive on some, uh, you know, floaty automatic transmission car that coasted a lot. That's what feels natural. If they learn to drive on a brown diesel manual wagon, that's going to have a lot of, a uh, lot of engine braking, right? So that's going to feel natural. So most electric cars will have buried in the settings menu someplace where you can change the amount of regenerative braking to kind of fit your preference. Um, we went ahead and pulled that up right up in front and gave it uh put that control in the the paddle shifters that we would have used for an automatic transmission in this car so there's a minus paddle on the left steering spoke and a plus paddle on the right steering spoke and every time you start the car it'll start out with sort of a a neutral setting that's got a mild amount of regenerative braking that kind of feels close to a normal automatic transmission car if you hit the upshifting you get less and less regen uh if you put minus you have more and more regions when you let off the the gas it slows down a lot (laughs) Um, the side effects of that are that we want there to be a really linear uh, controllability from the gas pedal to the amount of G that you get, both on the positive side and the negative side. So when we have a lot of regen, we need more pedal stroke to control how how much the car is slowing down. So we shift the neutral point in the gas pedal when you change that pedal. pedal. So the, the, the point that you'd hold the gas pedal at to just cruise down the highway will get deeper and deeper in the pedal, um, which means that the whole – gas pedal mapping uh, shifts as you change these these pedals, which also means that if you're just cruising along and you hit the up, the upshift paddle to get less regen, it actually goes a little bit faster each time because it's moving uh, where you are in the in the gas pedal stroke, uh, where the software is interpreting that. Where that really affects me and my team is in the brakes, because at the same time that we're giving the driver all this control over how much regen there is. Uh, we are going to, at the end of the day, use the maximum amount of regen that's possible to maximize the efficiency of the car. So all we're doing is we're shifting whether the driver controls the gas pedal or whether it's hidden in the brake pedal. When you step on the brake, what you're actually feeling, normal in a normal car, you're feeling uh, a piston building up hydraulic pressure, pushing on another piston that's, that's squeezing on a brake rotor You're actually feeling the mechanism of brake. When you step on the brake pedal in this car, you're feeling a spring a little elastomer that you're pushing on. Um, and the way that we fool your brain into thinking that that's a real brake pedal is we give you exactly the amount of braking G to go with the amount of spring that you're pushing on that would match what it would feel like in a normal braking system. But where that braking G comes from completely depends. We can we can switch it between regen braking and friction braking from the brakes of the wheels. Uh, kind of on the fly, depending on how much regen you're already using. If you're already 90% of the car's regen is, is used from the gas pedal, we'll give you a little 10% at the brake pedal and then start feeding in the friction brakes early. Um, if you are in the mode where there's almost no regen and you're coasting, when you hit the brakes, most of the slowing down that you feel comes from regen. And then when you've used all that up, we'll start putting a little bit of friction brake. And we even change it depending on the charge of the battery. If the battery's completely full... Uh, And we turn on a generator. There's no place for the power to go. We can't put regen into nowhere. So we just have to go straight to friction brakes. So there's all this sort of behind-the-scenes hocus-pocus in the brake pedal to make the brakes feel completely normal. And hopefully when you drove the car, you couldn't tell that all this crazy stuff was happening. It just felt like normal brakes, right? Um, In reality, it's constantly switching back and forth between regen and friction and some combination of the two to capture as much energy as possible while giving the driver the most natural controllability.
3: Right. Um, yeah, and and sorry, Sam. Let me let me add into that. It's just uh, this is again going back to that natural driving thing, right? I think a lot of us really freak out the first time we get into an EV, and uh, um, you know, the brakes just feel very awkward, or you know, a, a, a blended hybrid system, the brakes just don't don't feel intuitive. So, um, that's a big plus. And the second thing is that um, you know, the paddle system to control regeneration and the pedal position, that's actually actually also helpful in a way because sometimes you know as you're driving in as you're driving in traffic you have a certain mindset and you want more deceleration um you know but then you get out into open traffic and you're just cruising and you want you don't want this high precision deceleration response from from your accelerator pedal so that's another potential um this gives you the opportunity to choose how you want to do it
0: okay yeah uh, you know someone that has owned manual transmission cars my entire life um you know, every car that i've ever owned that's been my primary car has been a manual um and and hopefully i'll live you know i'll i'll be able to continue that uh, trend uh, for my remaining days um you know, you can you might guess where I fall on that spectrum. I, I as left. I've right. as, I, as I've driven a lot of EVs over the past fifteen years, um, you know, I I really appreciate the the strong regen. I was just wondering, you know, was there any thought given to you know, in addition to the paddles, you know, just having uh, a one pedal mode switch to to activate? So if somebody just wanted strong regen all the time, they just hit that switch and and not go back and forth with the paddles.
3: Uh, let me let me jump in on on, on the first side of that. Uh, the um y- your your question is almost a two part um, because you you mentioned one pedal, and uh, um in in our studies of of human centric uh, motion and perception, we we really real really debated this internally and, and talked about this. Okay, well, do we want one pedal, which by our definition and understanding is the ability to stop all the way without ever using the B pedal or the brake pedal? Um, and in our evaluations, long before EVs and everything else, we understood that um, human perception and motion in deceleration and braking takes two modes. The initial is a deceleration control mode where you're just gauging by feeling and by the visual flow going past you. You're more concentrated when you're slowing down for 50 mile per hour. That initial focus is just bring the speed down. And then after you get down to about a five mile per hour or I'm sorry probably like seven mile per hour range. Then you become more sensitive to position. Your your focus then shifts into okay, I need to stop here before I hit the parking bumper, or I need to get, I need to stop to this point so I can hit the apex correctly, right for that you know low speed right mm-hmm. turn. And so, in our human centric study, we we found that we, it's okay to control. It's, you can adequately control deceleration through an a pedal. But when it comes to precision and higher G deceleration, um, you need the positive control, if you understand, um, a pushing positive control on the B pedal to more precisely control that. As we know, um, as you're decelerating, just like our shifters, your body motion is moving forward. So you, if you're down decelerating, you're downshifting forward. Um, similarly, that action would, would, would work more because you have a brake pedal supporting your weight and all that for that final bit um so that's the breaking perception slash control uh ideal again um a lot of flavors and a lot of interpretations this is this is how we as mazda kind of have focused on it as as you know old school car guys and 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 uh, um uh, how do you say <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah we could be a little stubborn like that and you know yeah. it's it, no, I, I, I understand something, that, on that, something here oh, go
4: ahead. that i think um you know makes sense to us because we're we're in this world so much that i think might require a little bit more explanation that's the, mm-hmm. this human-centric engineering which is uh kind of like jimba Tai. one of those things that seems like a throwaway tagline but is actually some insight into a really deep and different way that mazda as a company operates um when we talk about human-centric engineering we are talking about us trying to figure out what is fundamentally going on in the human subconscious that makes a car feel natural. Right. And, um, when we're accelerating, take away the car. And when a, when a person is walking, when they're accelerating, um, they accelerate with their calf. When you push off on the end of each step, you're pushing off with your calf and, as you have to balance your body against that acceleration, there's a natural uh, acceleration that comes from that push from your calf. Then you're balancing mostly the part of you that's still balancing in a car uh, because everything else is supported by the seat is is your neck uh, supporting your head, right? And so you see a very direct relationship between pushing off with your calf muscle and tensing these neck muscles right here. Um, And that you go back to this minimum jerk thing that Jay keeps talking about. If you look at the, the profile, the force profile exerted by any mammal's muscle, muscle when they move, it follows this uh, this acceleration curve that minimizes the total amount of jerk because that takes the least amount of energy and eating food is hard. Um, and so you will have this acceleration profile from your calf muscle that you then respond to uh, with your neck muscle. Uh, and that is sort of behind all of these weird little decisions we make about why is the brake pedal so so heavy? Uh, we make our brakes heavier than, say, a lot of German cars do, for example. German cars, uh, when you're coming to a stop on a German car, you tend to have so much grab on the brake pedal that you're actually lifting off the brake as you're coming to a stop. Well, controlling with your shin as you're trying to control, that's completely unnatural. Uh, we keep the brake heavy enough so you're still pushing with your calf because that's the muscle that's tied to your balance in your brain, and that's how we naturally intuitively balance You see a lot of cars where they have a manual shift mode and uh, uh, upshift is forward and the downshift is backwards. Well, that puts the G-forces in the wrong orientation uh, for the direction you're pushing. We uh, and BMW and only Porsche GT cars, not the rest of their cars, go the right way. Um, So all these weird little decisions like that um, come from sort of a deep philosophy of, of trying to figure out what is intuitively human to make a car enjoyable to drive.
0: No that 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 makes I don't makes know if that makes more sense or less sense. <laughs> I mean it, to me to me it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean you know I I'm, I'm an engineer so I, I I I get it and um yeah. you know and 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 thinking about it from that perspective of you know the the, the human interaction with the machine, um, you know, and, and how 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 our bodies respond to the motions of that machine, uh, it, it, I think it, it makes a lot of sense in that perspective. So I appreciate that uh, that uh, explanation. Um, and you know, for for what it's worth, you know, I agree that you know, I it, it is there is a, a very different um, control. You know, as as you're slowing down and coming to a stop, you know, when you're when you're doing, if you're using a vehicle, an EV with one pedal driving, and it, you know, it's it's definitely something that people aren't used to. You know, and I, I, you know, I've become accustomed to it, Um, but I can I can definitely see, you know, where it, it does actually make. Uh, make a lot of sense, you know, the the way you described it. Of you know, as you get to that transition point, you know, somewhere around six or seven miles an hour, you know, go moving over from the accelerator pedal to the brake pedal, uh, to to have that precision control at the very end of the stop. You know, as you come to a stop, uh, so that that does make a and lot to, of sense. To shift
4: shift away from your weak shin muscle onto mm-hmm. your stronger and much more precise calf. Um, yep. which that that's the muscle that's that's used for for all of the uh, big g-forces in your real
0: life <laughs> okay yeah no that that makes that makes perfect sense well i mean i think that answers a lot of the, 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 the topics that I wanted to to cover in this, you know, in terms of the, the powertrain. Oh, I guess one, one other area uh, that we didn't really dive into, uh, Jay, is the battery itself. Um, you know, we've talked, we've talked about, you know, the way you chose the size of the battery. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the technology of the battery itself? What, you know, if, you, if you can say, you know, what chemistry is and, you know, kind of the construction of the battery. I'm curious about that.
3: Well, um, ironically, I, I am uh, more focused on uh, the uh, the driving fuel side instead of the electrons and the battery oh, okay. management and the battery control side. But it is a lithium-ion battery. Um, and, uh, you know, the configuration, I'm not too particularly uh, versed in that. Um, I think there's other guys that uh, have more uh, in-depth knowledge about that. Um, All right. We can try to get back to you about that, but um, I think, you know, uh, it's... Uh, we have our uh, supplier for for that, and so um it's it's not uh, groundbreaking uh, or or necessarily a breakthrough in terms of battery technology.
0: okay. all right, well, that's fine. Um well, I really appreciate you guys taking the the time to to talk through all this stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, you know as as usual, with Mazda, you've taken a a slightly unique <laughs> approach that uh, you know that I think uh, a lot of people will appreciate uh, and um, you know it's it's it'll be interesting to see how the market uh, uh, reacts to to what you've done here with the MX-30 because um, it, it is it, it is a unique vehicle in the in the segment you know in, in terms of EVs and, and how you've approached in it and I think it's very consistent with Mazda um, you know with with the way you do all your vehicles so thank you so much for your time today it's been great.
3: Great Thanks, Sam. To you, Sam. Thank you.